720 WGN, and we are uh, live in the Skyline studio here until uh, 4 a.m. Sunday night and a Monday morning. It's Nick DeGilio, and I'm back. Um, <clears throat> it's been um, interesting last week, um, <laughs> to say the least. I want to thank uh, Dane for filling in for me. Um, uh, so... I, I I took the week off. A lot of people are like, "Oh man, he's been gone for two weeks." I, the week before was a vacation. Everything was fine. I just took a vacation the week before, so I took the the past few days off. Um, Monday, uh, you know, didn't come down um, because it it was just nuts down here. There was a uh, you know protests and looting and all kinds of crazy stuff happening down here, and it seemed impossible to get down here. Tuesday, I attempted to come down. Uh, but everything was blocked off, and um, and then uh, I stayed with my parents because my dad has been going through some medical stuff. Um, I have a like an anxiety issue, so I was kind of freaking out the first couple of nights uh, when all this stuff was happening. Um, so, but then uh, you know I realized that my dad is going to be a rough week for my dad and my mom because my dad had some medical stuff that he had to go through. He went in, had a few extra appointments at. Uh, with his doctor and stuff and um, had some blood tests that he had to do. And then he had a procedure that he had to go through as well this week. So I stayed with my parents um, and I took three days off um, so I could spend them with my parents, keep uh, an eye on my dad, uh, keep company with my mom. Um, So it was a, it was a, it was just a weird week. My dad going through some medical stuff. He still is too. He's got some tests he's got to do next week. He's got another, procedure that he has to go through um but they both seem okay my dad in fact you know is still he worked a jewel today um but it's uh it's one of these things where it's like he's got to take it easy he tries to do a little bit more than he should um but this last week you know um it was a little it was a little uh little heavy and so i stayed with my parents and i took a couple of nights off from work so that's where i was my dad's good. He's going to call in and tell a joke later. So, um, but uh, you know, he still got tests and he still got procedures he's got to do next week as he went through uh, just this past week. But I wanted to uh, spend time with my folks, keep an eye on my dad, and I stayed with them for a few days and I took some nights off from work because of that. So uh, I just wanted to keep an eye on my dad uh, and take care of my mom and just spend time with them. So that's why I was off for a few nights. Um, uh, the first night was because of uh, the insanity that was happening down here. The second night was an, an attempt to come down here, but it seemed like everything was closed and I couldn't get to the loop. I couldn't even get downtown. So I turned back and went home and then uh, stayed with my folks for the next like three or four, actually until today. I stayed with them for five days and um, just spent time with them, hung out with them, which was great. 
and wanted to make sure my dad was okay, keeping up on his progress. He's got a lot of uh, meds he takes and stuff like that, but he insists that he's okay. Um, he's still got stuff he's got to go through next week, and he went through some stuff last week, including a procedure that my mom and I were both you know, concerned about, so I stayed with them. I, I wanted to be with my family. So uh, during a time when my dad needed some help and my mom definitely who gets very upset about these kind of things um, and she's diabetic and it's not good for her to um, to have anxiety or stress or sadness. So I wanted to just sp- spend time with my parents. So I spent the night over there. I stayed with them for a few days, ate meals with them, watched some TV, hung out with them, talked. Um, and it was about five days worth I hung out with them. And uh, I can't remember the last time I spent five days at my parents' house, which was nice because, you know, my mom's like, all right, don't worry about it. You can eat whatever you want to eat. You can do whatever you want to do. And I'm like, wow, I might move back home. Did she make you that uh, that, that mushroom chicken? She did not. She did not. But, no, we had, like, she she made, like, uh, the second night I was there, like, mashed potatoes, full-on filet mignon, and corn. And I was like, what? So... um yeah, no. I this is the most I've eaten. These last five days is the most I've eaten in probably two months. You know, because I forget to eat when I'm at home. I'll eat one, two meals, you know. My mom was like, eat, 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 you know. That's what moms do best. That's exactly. So but anyway, my dad's doing fine. He's doing okay. I mean, I, I you know, I he's he's still got a lot of med you know, he's still got a lot of medical stuff that he has to do next week. Um, tests and, and you know, and, and and appointments and another procedure that he has to go through. Uh, but he insists that he's okay, and he's going to call in later and tell a joke. But I wanted to spend time with my folks um, during a trying time. I wanted to make sure that my mom was okay and that my dad was doing okay and keep an eye on my dad because he insists on doing stuff sometimes and he shouldn't. Um, but that's where I was. I uh, I took some nights off to spend with my parents um, during a time when I think they needed to be uh, – I, I needed to spend time with them. So that's where I was. Uh, I thanks everybody was kind of freaking out. Every, I got a lot of notes from people. Wondering where I was, what was going on. Um, I spent time with my parents. That's what I did uh, during a time when I needed to spend time with my parents. Um, so uh, I'm back, though. I'm here, and um, and I'm ready to go. And we're ready to do you know uh, full weeks of shows here. Uh, I mean, I'll keep an eye on what's going on with my parents. I call them at least twice a day to find out what's happening. And again, like I said, my dad's going to call in later and tell a joke. Um, but you know, I needed to be with my parents. That's all. It was, a, it was a very tense time. I mean, Monday and Tuesday were nuts just basically because of what's happening in this city. And I was like filled with anxiety to the, to the top of my head and beyond. Um, and then I would just wanted to keep an eye on my dad who just coincidentally this entire week was going through some crazy stuff too. So that's where I was. Thank you for your concern. I'm back. I'm here. Tom, thank you for working. Uh, Dane filled in. I want to thank Jess for dealing with, uh, some craziness uh, on one of the nights that uh, I didn't come in. So uh, thank you everybody for 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 uh, for keeping on and keeping on. But it was just I had to be with my I had to be with my dad, and my mom. So that's where I was spending time with them. That's why I took some time off. So three one two nine eight one seven two hundred is the phone number. Real quick, here's Sue on WGN. Hi Sue. Hi. Yeah. And um, I was I was saying that. Uh, I was missing you. I was worried about your dad because I knew that you know he'd have trouble before. Yeah. So I'm hoping that he's. I'm glad he is. He's doing better now. Listen, he insists that he's fine. Like I said, he was. A, he worked. A, <laughs> he worked at Jewel today. Oh yeah, 
that's what but he you, said. Yeah, I, he worked at Jewel I, today. I, but, but, but yeah, no, he did. But the thing is, it's like you got to keep an eye on that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Oh, and, sure. And yeah, beca- you do. because he had yeah. this, he had a procedure. You know, this earlier this week, I had, to, I wanted to spend time with him. That's all. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, so. yeah, makes sense. So yeah, because uh, because I know um, oh, off and on different times too. I was I was wondering about him. You know how he was doing. Yeah, and then you were. I was really worried because you were not on the radio again. No, yeah, you know, well, and I thought, that's, oh, no, that's why I, that's why I took the time off, Sue, was to spend time yeah. with them. So, yeah. uh, but I'm back, well, Sue. Thanks. Um, very, very good. Good thank to hear you, you okay. Nick. Okay, thank you, Sue. All right. <laughs> yeah. But, All right. Uh, so anyway, thank you everybody for the for the kind thoughts and the notes and everything. And um, but my dad says he's doing fine. He looks good. He's feeling good. He's just got a lot of weird stuff going on with him physically right now and uh, and medically. Um, you know, and I wanted to be there with them. I didn't, we do, we weren't sure how the procedure was going to go, um, and how it was going to, how it was going to pan out. And, um, I wanted to be there with my mom and be there with my dad. So I took a few days off just to spend time with family, uh, during a pretty stressful time. So anyway, uh, that's, that's what uh, happened and, uh, and I'm back and, uh, and I'm ready to go. Jim Ryan is going to join us. He's our good buddy. He's going to join us after the, uh, after the break here. He's a music and entertainment writer for Forbes.com. We talk music and all kinds of cool stuff. We play a trivia game called, uh, Rock of Ages with him every time he comes on. That's happening. Uh, we've got, um, my dad is going to tell a joke. He's going to call in and tell a joke. Annabelle, the creepy doll from the movie, it really exists. We're going to talk about cursed objects in history. We're going to talk about weird flags and unbelievable weather records and much more. We would love to hear from you at 312-981-7200. Glad you are listening, and uh, we're happy you are there. And we're here to uh, keep you company and keep you uh, posted and to keep you entertained. And that's what we're going to do for you. Also, uh, Walter uh, Walter's Perspective is coming up, too. So, uh, Jim Ryan, after the break here on 720 WGN. Thank you, everybody, for the concern and the thoughts. Hey, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN as we continue on a Sunday night into Monday morning. We're live in the Skyline Studio, 18 stories above beautiful downtown Chicago, here till 4 o'clock. Tom Hush is my producer, and I am Nick DeGilio. Um, we're going to, you know, we always play back uh, classic Johnny Carson. You can watch the Johnny Carson show every night on Antenna TV, and I suggest you do because it's awesome. Uh, and we play back uh, sometimes, you know, stand up, sketches, comedy, and sometimes interviews. So we're going to play back an interview with uh, little Emmanuel Lewis, little Webster. Tom, do we know this is like from like early in the run of Webster? Because he's really little in this in this clip, right? Yeah, this is like basically the beginnings of Webster, right when, uh, let me see. Because uh... he's just really adorable in this clip. Oh, it's And Johnny it's loves him. Johnny yeah. just loves him. <laughs> Let me get the year here. Uh, so this is from 1983. Oh man! Yeah, 1983. Oh, yeah he's, no, he's no. Tiny. <laughs> oh, he's in like a man. little leather suit, right? And it's just and his his legs are just he, yeah, can't, he can't even fit over the side. Of the even, couch. He's not yeah. even over the side of the couch. So uh, some uh, classic Carson. You watch Johnny Carson; it's just the best. Johnny Carson uh, is on Antenna TV every night, and uh, every morning at 2:30 here on the show. Every weekday morning at 2:30 here on the show, we play back some classic Carson comedy clips. 
and interviews and things like that. So we'll hear from the adorable Emmanuel Lewis circa 1983. <laughs> so 312-981-7200 is the phone number. Uh, one of our regular guests on the show, who's one of our favorites, uh, is Jim Ryan. He's a music and entertainment writer for Forbes.com. And we always love to talk to him about uh, some of the interviews that he's done and some of the things that he's writing about. Uh, normally, he would also be reviewing concerts and things like that, but obviously that's not happening um, at this time. But, uh, you know, he has seen uh, a ton of concerts and uh, writes about a ton of music, and uh, it's always fun to talk to Jim. And we always play a little round of uh, Rock of Ages, which is a fun music trivia game that we like to play with Jim. And uh, uh, let's welcome our good friend Jim Ryan to the show. Hi, Jim. Hi, Nick. Are we sure it's fun, by the way? It, well, it might not <laughs> the be game, fun. The game's not always fun. No, it, it, well, my, it's usually not fun for you. <laughs> you always, you always seem to not, you always seem to not do very well, and I don't understand that because you're a very, you're a very knowledgeable and smart guy, especially when it comes to music. I, uh... I'm gonna, I'm gonna blame it on us getting to the game around two thirty-three in the morning. So That's, now that we're, okay. now that we're starting a little earlier. Yeah, I. I I predict that this is a runaway victory for me. Okay, you're just gonna you're gonna it's it's you're gonna go uh, what ten, 10 for ten is what you're gonna you're gonna exactly okay right. yes uh, set a well, new record welcome Jim <clears throat> thank you uh, how you been holding up during all this and I mean we're we're allowed to actually go outside now and kind of you know maybe go to, go to some establishments if we safe distance ourselves and wear masks and all that cool stuff so how you been oh. I'll tell you what, my, my day just got immeasurably better upon hearing the words of Manuel Lewis. <laughs> I can't wait for that. Were you, were, oh, you, were you a Webster fan, uh, Jim? A, a big Webster fan, no yeah. No kidding, right? Seriously? How, oh, absolutely. How many, Mam and George? Come on. Yeah, I don't know, because I never watched it. I just know that, I know that um, <laughs> Alex Karras was in it, right? Am I nuts? Yes, he was. Okay. No, he was in it. Yeah, because uh, Alex Karras, and his real-life wife, right? Weren't they the... Oh, I didn't know that was his real life wife. What, okay. what was it, Susan? Uh, what the hell was her name? But, I'm not sure. But I noticed Mongo was in it, so that it's a uh, Mongo just pawn in life, pawn in, ga- pawn, <laughs> pawn in game of life. How many seasons did Webster go? Oh, it, it went a while. It went a while, right? Wasn't he about six feet five when the uh, when the show ended? Little Webster. That sounds. <laughs> that's terrible, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Um, wasn't it? Wasn't it set here? Wasn't it supposed to be? In I, don't, Chicago? I have didn't, no idea. I don't. I've never. I've never. I've never, I've, never I've never seen one episode of Webster. So I don't. I have I'm no. Pretty idea. sure it was set here, okay. and that he played for the Bears. I think. Oh, all right. I'm not going to ask Tom. Tom. Well, I mean, uh, it, it went for six <laughs> seasons. Tom, see, Tom, how many? You know, like, you, how many people right now on the internet are looking up Webster? That's my. I, I believe. I believe Tom might be the only person on the internet right now who is googling Webster. Not the dictionary, the TV show. So what, and, you said uh, six seasons? Six seasons. Six seasons. Starting uh, when? Starting in, uh, let's see, 1983. Oh, so that's the debut. So the, the clip that we're playing from Johnny Carson is from the very, very first season yeah, of and, the Webster television program. And Alex Karras' wife. The, his wife was Susan Clark. That's it. Right. So they yeah. were, but they played the couple. That was his real life wife, uh, yeah. Jim. I'm gonna to have to go back and binge watch. Oh God! All right. Well, t- you can tell me about <laughs> it. I'll take Webster. it. Se- I'll, I'll take it second hand. Yeah, I'll take it second hand. Thanks very much. <laughs> now you got to write up. I love. I love. Al- I love Alex Karras. I've always been a big fan of Alex Karras. I just never watched Webster. But I mean, come on, Mongo, Blazing Saddles. I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, 
Oh, that's outstanding. You know what's one of my favorite little tidbits uh, about Blazing Saddles? Uh, other than that, is it is clearly one of the funniest movies ever made and could never be made today. <laughs> ever, <laughs> ever uh, be made. Uh, is that, you know, Richard Pryor got a writing credit on it. Uh, okay. He was supposed to actually play the Cleavon Little part, but Warner Brothers would not insure him because, you know, Richard Pryor had, he kind of had a little drug problem, Richard Pryor. Right. I don't know if you knew that or not. I heard something about yeah, that. Yeah, so so they wouldn't uh, insure him, so that's why they, you know, that's why uh, Mel Brooks uh, cast Cleavon Little, who is fantastic in the role. Um, but Richard Pryor's got a writing credit on it, and you know, you've seen Blazing Saddles, obviously, Tom. You've seen Blazing Saddles, and you know it's full of like racial jokes and stuff throughout. Um, and everybody assumed that Richard Pryor wrote a bunch of that stuff, like you know, because that's like right up his alley. He talks about racial relationships and you know stuff like that, and and the and you know uses that n word a lot. Used that n word a lot during his uh, during his stand up routines, the early part of his career. And everybody just assumed Richard Pryor wrote all that stuff. Richard Pryor wrote all the Mongo stuff. He didn't. Well, write, he didn't write any of the racial stuff in Blazing Saddles. He wrote all the Mongo I mean, stuff. You you talk about a movie they can't make today. I saw earlier. It's going to be the second HBO movie now that they're putting the disclaimer on. The first one was Gone with the Wind. This yeah. one's getting Blazing Saddles is getting a disclaimer now too. Which one? It's the second one. Blazing, Blazing Saddles. Saddles. Oh, I watched it is. It. Well, of course yeah. it is. Yeah, of course. I, I mean, watched the intro. <laughs> did you? What was it? What That's do we fine. have? Is there audio for it? We can find. I'll try to find it, but it basically just you know puts things in perspective. It yeah, kind of ruins the movie almost. No, a, you can't ruin that movie. I don't I, care. I, yeah, but it's just like uh, it's one of those things where if you're watching that. And you don't get that the racists are the bad guys. Oh yeah, then you probably oh, no, should be it's, watching. It's, it. But yeah. the thing about Blazing Saddles is it's done for complete shock comedy value. It's overtly over the top. You know what I mean? It's not nothing that comes out of anybody's mouth in that movie should be taken seriously. And by the way, as, as I've mentioned before, Jim, uh, that movie came out in 1974. Again, it was a completely different time. Um, but also the same year Mel Brooks made Young Frankenstein. So in one year. One year he released Young Frankenstein and Blazing Saddles in the same year. I mean, that's a, that's. Not I've been a, thinking about some of those bands and some of those artists with those kind of runs where you know you're talking to Beatles put out their entire catalog in like eight years. It's yeah. just crazy. Yeah, we should talk about that a little bit. Like, who had some of the best runs in in music? You know, like like album after album. Like, there's a you know, like for me, the first six Black Sabbath albums are just you know you can't. I mean, please. <laughs> <laughs> who else is, Who else had a great run? We'll, we'll think about that, okay, Jim? Hold on. Okay. All right, let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, Tom, you think you, think you have a, a few that, few artists that did some had a great run there, like album after album for a while that was just like, whoa. I thought the doors were pretty good. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, uh, I just, I will never understand the appeal of that band. Especially the appeal of Jim Morrison. I just don't get it. Drunken buffoon. <laughs> Not that I don't admire a lot of drunken buffoons from the past, because I do. I've a lot of artists that I, I that I have enjoyed over the past had their had their substance abuse and idiotic uh, acting problems, or behavior problems. So. All right, uh, 312-981-7200. Jim Ryan is with us. we got a lot to talk about. If you want to jump in here, what artists do you think had a really pretty great run 
of like album after album that were just really amazing. Is that Fleetwood Mac? Yeah, everywhere. Yeah, that's Christy McVie. I get a little yeah. thrown because Christy McVie didn't sing a lot, didn't do lead vocals on a lot of songs. Yeah, she had she had some songs. She did no great yeah. great songs. She had some songs, but she was not frequently the uh, the lead vocalist. Lead. Yeah, yeah, but she's great. That's a good song. I haven't heard that one in a while. Yeah, I think that's from Tango in the Night. It is from Tango in the Night. Where the Gypsy's also on that record. Yeah, great stuff. So, yeah, really good. Hey, it's Nick DeGilio here on 720WG, and I'm back. Um, thank you so much for the kind thoughts and the words and the concern, actually. Um, I took a little time off. Uh, Monday and Tuesday were just weirdness and stress, and then the rest of the week I spent with my parents because my dad went through a little medical stuff and had a procedure, and I wanted to spend time with them. So I spent some. I, sp- I spent five nights over at my parents' house, which is really kind of an interesting and fun thing. I was sleeping on the couch, you know, when I'm not really sleeping because I'm awake, you know, and we stayed up and I hung out and I kept an eye on my dad and my mom and stuff like that. But I ended up watching a lot of Frasier. Did you know that like Hallmark, the Hallmark channel shows Frasier for like four hours overnight? <laughs> I watched a lot of Frasier over the past week. That show was great. I think I forgot how I mean that like really great. Like upper echelon television. All I kind of remember was the theme song mentioned something about scrambled eggs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and, John and and it's it's uh and and uh, Kelsey Grammer sings that. That's the the final credits. Oh really? He yeah. sings that? Yeah. Oh, good for you, Kelsey. All right. Uh it's uh Jim Ryan is with us. It's Nick DeGilio on WGN. It is a uh, Sunday into Monday and uh spent some time with my folks. Took some time off cuz my dad was got some medical stuff going on, but he is going to call in and tell a joke. The sense of humor doesn't stop, even if he's, you know, got medical testings and procedures going on in his life. He still tells jokes. So the joke is coming up um, uh, with my dad. All right. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. Jim Ryan is with us, music and entertainment writer for Forbes.com. And uh, if you can think of any music artists, bands, or whatever that had a string of albums that were like, whoa, like one after the other after the other. Uh, that were pretty amazing. Obviously, every Beatles album <laughs> counts. Um, and here's Jim on WGN. Hey, Jim. Hello, Nick. All right. Have you been thinking about it? <laughs> yeah, I got a couple. And Tom's right about the doors, by the way. Okay. See, I'm in the min- I'm in the. Mi- I know I'm in the minority on this. I know. I I absolutely know I'm in the minority. But I've always, always hated the doors. Always. I do too. Oh, but you six oh, they- albums in five years, and they're all huge. Six albums in five. Did they do six albums in five years? Yeah. Wow. They formed in '65, and Morrison was dead by '71. It's wow. crazy how quick it went. Yeah. Yeah. No, you know, it's. I mean, I got. I have to acknowledge the imprint that they made in music history. It's just not. It's not my thing. You know what I mean? Same here. Yeah. But uh, but boy, that's impressive though. You got to You know, you can't. You can't. You can't not acknowledge that. Even though I'm not a fan of the band, that's really really impressive. 
Yep. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So the Doors is and Jim's or Jim. Tom's a big. Uh, <laughs> Tom's a big uh, Jim Morrison and uh, Doors fan. We were texting a little bit about this earlier in the week, actually. Oh, you were? Seriously? about? Oh, well, you know why? Because later on, we're going to talk a little bit because you talked to one of the members of the Doors. Yeah, then uh, on, Tom's, on Tom's suggestion, I watched the movie. I had never seen the movie. The Oliver Stone movie? Yeah, I saw you, Correct. I saw you post that on your Facebook page. <laughs> uh, that, that movie's ridiculous. It's better than I thought it was going to be, actually. Oh. I thought I was going to hate it. 15 oh. minutes in, I was ready to turn it off, but it improved. Yeah, well, it, 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 here's the, here's the thing about it. I um, Oliver Stone's. There are a few movies that Oliver Stone has made that I really like a lot. Most of them are ridiculous. What are the ones you like a lot? Uh, talk radio. Platoon. I like talk radio okay. a lot. I like platoon till the last five minutes. Um, and I'm trying to think of some of the other, but there have been some Oliver Stone movies that I've actually enjoyed. Um, but uh, but for the most part, like like JFK drives me nuts a lot. I mean, a lot of his movies just make me nuts because it's Oliver Stone, right? Um, and uh, and The Doors is one of them. Um, <laughs> but I do think I got to say I think Val Kilmer's great in it. Oh my God, Val Kilmer is Jim Morrison. Yeah. I mean, like I actually paused it at one point, like to see. I'm like he is singing these songs. I think, and and sure enough, he is in the movie. And it's like I was I was reading some of the members of The Doors during the filming when they were hearing stuff in the playback couldn't tell if they were hearing Morrison or Kilmer. <laughs> it's, it, amazing. It's, it's interesting because like he was, he was doing the method thing on the set. I don't know if you knew about this. I, I, this is what I've read. Yeah. Yeah. Like he would only answer to the lizard King. <laughs> there was like a famous memo where, where he was telling everybody not to address him as Val Kilmer. Exactly. You couldn't address him as Val Kilmer. You had to, <laughs> you had to, he, he, he said you could address him as Jim, but he preferred the lizard King. Like he wanted, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. No, Val, I love this. Val, Val Kilmer was like, you can call me Jim. That's fine, but I prefer the Lizard King. For people who don't know, uh, that was the. I don't know where. It, hey, what's the origin of the, of the Lizard King? Because that was Jim Morrison's. That was Jim Morrison's sort his of nickname. Yeah, his nickname was the Lizard King. And then he, but then he felt like they need to embody it at all times. Yes, he did. Yes. He, <laughs> oh, here I have a little here. Let's detriment. try. Let's try this. Listen. Listen to this. Listen closely to this. I am the Lizard King. There you go. <laughs> how do you not think uh, that's? How do you not think that's ridiculous? How I mean, how it's totally ridiculous. It's completely ridiculous. So, uh, yeah, but that's that's true though. I mean, those numbers we're talking about bands that were on a run, um, and that's absolutely true. The Doors, man, oh man, five, what does he say? Six albums in five years? Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, and then they it, made two more without them. They made what? Three, two, they made two or three more without him. Without without Jim Morrison, yeah, as the yeah. doors. You know, um, it's interesting though. It, what's what's crazy is just like how quickly bands in that time period, like in the sixties, right. would churn out albums. You know what I mean? Like two albums oh, a yeah, year. The, two, two. You know, the other two, one I'm looking, uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival, is crazy. They put out seven albums between '68 and '72. Their entire recorded works took place in four years is that right <laughs> yeah wow i'm looking at it right here and see now that's CCR a... in 68 bayou country in 69 green river in 69 willie and the poor boys in 69 three albums in 69 uh, cosmos factory in 70 pendulum in 70 and mardi gras in 72 <laughs> that's unbelievable now see the, yeah. dif- the difference there is that's a great band <laughs> that's, that's the difference there a big, that, a big difference that's a great band so Tom, did you I, come up I with? I think they're also. 
Go ahead. I think they're also the band with the most the most number twos with no number one. They've had they had four songs yeah. go to number two, and they That's never right. never hit number one. They were uh, as you say, always the bridesmaid, but yeah. never the bride. Yeah. <laughs> well, they, 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 in my in my book, they're the bride. You'd marry you'd marry I John mar- Fogarty. I would marry John Fogarty. I would marry. <laughs> I, listen, I would marry all of Creedence. Can you even name the rest of the band? No. <laughs> well, his brother Tom Fogarty. Yeah, Tom, Tom Fogarty. Tom's in it. Yeah. And then who are the other guys? Huey right? Lewis was in Doug the band. Was at one point. Yeah. <laughs> and the rest of the news. Now you know the news was uh, was the original attractions. What for Elvis Costello? Yeah. Are you serious? I'm not kidding. the oh, the yeah. The news was the backup band for Elvis Costello. Really. Yeah, yeah. You're not making this up. I am not. I'm totally serious. I'm dead serious. I never heard that one. Yeah, before wow. before the attraction. Well, they weren't called the news then, but before the attractions, that what what the band that became the news was it was Elvis Costello's backup band. And then they moved on to Hip to Be Square. Yes, they did. Speaking of, of a guy <laughs> okay. who had, Elvis Costello's a guy who had a great run. Who I mean, you know, especially what was it? Eighty six. He released two albums. He released uh, King of. Uh, oh God! Why am I blanking on the name of the album? Uh, he had blood, blood and she's uh, blood and chocolate, and King of. Uh, I keep thinking King of Pain, but that's the Police. King of. Uh, it's a, the two albums in 1986 that uh, or 87 that Elvis Costello uh, released: Blood and Chocolate, and both of them were masterpieces. Blood and Chocolate, and then uh, King of America. King of America. King of America. Yeah. Yeah. King of America. Blood and Chocolate. Same year. Wow. I mean, come on, man. <laughs> With the news. Yeah, at a, at a time when nobody was doing that. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, he's, yeah, no, no, no. He, he I love Elvis Costello. I love him. I got to see him on the tour, you know, because he did, he did a tour where the, he, you'd be on stage, you'd, go, you'd get to go up on stage and and uh, spin the wheel. Do you, you remember those? Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah, the, oh, yeah. The, the musical the songs, wheel. So, yeah. The musical wheel, the songs were all on there, and you would spin it, and they'd have to play the song. They'd have to play the song that you spun. <laughs> he brought that back a couple of years ago too. Yeah. yeah, I saw it in eighty in the eighties when he when he first was at the Riv. Do they take uh, Do they take the song off once they've played it, or can they play Oliver's Army twice? I don't know how that. I know they. they I know they didn't repeat any songs the okay, night the so night they, I saw it. They, they did. He, I think he did like a three night stand at the Riv. I went to one sure. of the nights. Um, That's a good. Game. Well, you're right. By the way, Nick, like his his recording here from in nine years from seventy seven to eighty six, he put out. 11 albums. Yeah. That's crazy. And he's amazing. Elvis Costello is amazing. He's unbelievable. You ever see him live, Tom? No, I haven't had the chance. Jim, you? I uh, saw him at the Chicago Theater and saw him at Riot Fest a couple times. He's unbelievable. He is. He's just, he's just great. I've always loved Elvis Costello. All right, uh, let's see. Here's Steve on WGN. Hey, Steve. Yeah, well, NXS, they had a pretty good run there for a bit. NXS. Dot. In excess, I just remember. Uh, I know that Kick was a huge album for them. Um, but uh, yeah, but it Shabu Shabab was well, Shab- uh, it well, it was mostly MTV. But yeah, they they had a good. But no, Prince had one of the best runs. Oh well, I, yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah. You, I, I can't believe we haven't mentioned Prince. I mean, because everything's great. I mean, you, you can take in <laughs> Stones, everybody else. But yeah, yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. Yep. Well, the, Stone, the Stones had a run in the in the late '60s, early '70s that was just, I mean, there's like, was it like five, six albums in a row that are that were just like you got Beggars Banquet, you got Let It Bleed, you got um, uh, you got Exile, um, 
Some some might include Goathead Soup, Goathead Soup. Uh, but what there, what else is because there's just like five essential albums in a row that if you don't if you don't have because it's it's Beggars, Let It Bleed, uh, Exile. Oh, Sticky Fingers. Sticky Fingers, and then what? Ex- no, you already mentioned Exile on Main Street. I think it might be before. Is it Black and Blue? I don't know if that's essential. When did when does Emotional Rescue come out? That, well, that was in '83. <laughs> yeah, that also had didn't didn't that also have uh, some something in the night the video where they're like fighting Sandinistas. <laughs> I don't know that it'd one. Be, it'd be period appropriate, I something guess. In I the, something of the night. Something of the night. It was 1983. The video was really popular on MTV. And they were like, I don't know. It was like in the middle. They were like fighting. I don't know if they were fighting Sandinistas or drug dealers. So, all right. Hey, okay. Listen, uh, Jim, hang on, okay? Sure. All right. Walter Jacobson is a, is a legend, and he has a perspective. And uh, we play it every Sunday night at this time. And it is sponsored by HearingHealthCenter.com. And here's Walter. Due to the killer virus and the presidential campaigns, we are in deep need of accurate and reliable information, which is available. And that's good. What's bad is that too many people are not looking for information or when and where it's available. They're not paying attention to it. According to a national survey, Nine months in the making by Pew Research, almost half of America, most notably young adults, are relying on social media or local television news for what little interest they have in the virus and presidential campaigns. The survey says that many, many young adults don't seem to know or care about the dangers of the virus or the policies and programs of the presidential candidates. They say the virus doesn't affect them enough to matter. They're turning to social media because they like the conspiracy theories that the virus is uh, all politics. About the presidential campaigns, the survey says, just 8% of young adults are looking for information in the newspapers, compared to 46% looking for it on local TV news, which is barely providing it. Local TV is much more focused on car crashes and fires than on policies and programs. So that accurate, reliable information we need about the candidates on Chicago TV, I can't find it. I'm Walter Jacobson, and that's my perspective. For more, visit WTNRadio.com or download the WTN Radio app. Nick DeGiulio here on 720 WGN, live in the Skyline studio. Glad to be back. Took some time off, spent with the family. My dad was going through some medical issues, uh, so I was staying with my parents for a few days and took some nights off so that I could spend time with them. Um, uh, family is important, really, really important. So that's why I was off. My dad's doing well. Uh, he's got uh, still more. He's got some medical stuff he's got to do next week, including another procedure. We'll keep an eye on that. And uh, But I, I spent time with the family. That's why I took some time off. Uh, and thank you, everybody, and all the people who worked really hard while I was away. Um, but I'm back, and I'm glad to be here. It's 312-981-7200. Um, we're live in the Skyline studio. And again, I asked this question, Tom. Has anybody ever counted the number of times that song is played in Fast Times at Ridgemont High? Hmm. It's got to be 83 times. I'll get, uh, let's see if we can get the sabermetrics on that one. Yeah. 
<laughs> Jim Ryan is with us, uh, music and entertainment writer for Forbes.com. He joins us once a month to talk music, entertainment, have some fun. We'll play a round of the trivia question uh, extraordinaire game, Rock of Ages. Uh, Jim, welcome back. Thank you for having me. Welcome back to you as well. Well, thank you. Uh, so, um, yeah. Now, have you ever counted the number of times that that song is played? <laughs> no, but Fast it, Times I, I laughed Island? as you said that. Yeah, it is, I know it's many <laughs> bunch of times in in that. <laughs> yes, in that one. Uh, any other uh, uh, artists or bands that had quite a run? I, you know, I mentioned uh, before. I think the Police. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's a short run too. That's a short sure. run. Five. Five albums between seventy nine and eighty three in four years. Five albums in four That's years. Crazy. And by the um, way, I'm looking. I'm, I'm looking at the Stones one right now. You are right on the Stones. Yeah. Yeah. What, what was that stretch? It was like from sixty eight to like seventy four. Oh, I I think you could argue that it's like sixty seven. I think I think it's funny where there's a definitive end. Let me just say that. Yeah. Uh, sixty seven is a Satanic Majesty's request. Sixty eight is Beggar's Banquet. Right. Sixty nine is Let It Bleed. Yep. Sticky Finger seventy one. Exile seventy two. Uh, Goat's Head Soup, 73. It's only Rock and Roll, 74. Uh, Black and Blue, 76. Some Girls, 78. Emotional Rescue, 80. Tattoo You, 81. Undercover, 83. And I think we could argue about a couple of those. Dirty there, Work? But I, I, we're not going any further because Dirty Work <laughs> is 86. <laughs> Dirty Work is a terrible the layoff. The biggest layoff in their entire catalog up yeah. to that point. Well, that, I, you know, you, one could argue a few of those, but that stretch, there's five in a row. <laughs> That yeah, stretch from 67, I think, to 71 with Sticky Fingers. What was after Sticky Fingers again? Oh, no, Exile is after Sticky Fingers. <laughs> yeah, Exile. <laughs> yeah. And, and then yeah, what's, what's, after, what's after Exile? Uh, Goat's Head Soup. Okay, so I would say, I mean, Goat's Head Soup's a great album, but not as great as those I like it. of the ones preceding it. Because, I mean, that stretch from Beggar's Banquet on is ridiculous. It's, it's But then to in four years after it, you get... It's only rock and roll, black and blue, and some girls. Some girls is my second favorite Stones album. I is love that, that album. is that right? Really? Yeah, I love that album. Wow. Yeah. No, it's a great that album. Smokey I, Robinson cover. Yeah. Oh my god, it's so good. Yeah. No. 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 It's a great record. I just don't. I mean. I mean. I don't know. I'm. A, I'm a Let It Bleed guy. That's my favorite. That's my favorite. That's my favorite Stones album. And, You're not a Dirty Work guy. Uh, no. I'm not. Harlem, Tom, are you Harlem? familiar with the cover of ha- Dirty Work? Yeah, I'm actually wearing several pastel <laughs> colors right now. I'm a big Dirty Work fan. Yeah, come on, man. Just making sure. Is, it, is that the best version of Harlem Shuffle you've ever heard in your life? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> There's uh, one good song on that album. What is it? What, one Hit to the Body is a good song. Oh, yeah, no, that's actually a pretty good song. That's a pretty good and song. And you know who's playing, you know who does the solo on that? Is it Stevie Ray Vaughan? Jimmy Page. Oh, it's Page, isn't it? Jimmy Page. Oh, okay. All right. Well. So even on a horrible Stones album. There's at least one redeeming. good song, and, uh, <laughs> and Jimmy Page is on it. Yeah. Yep. All right. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I mentioned The Police, because you've got uh, Outlandos de Amor, you've got Regatta de Blanc, Zenyatta Mandata, Ghost in the Machine, and Synchronicity. Um, and that's between 79 and 83. That's, I mean, that's nuts. Yeah, that's insane. I mean, I went to high school between seventy nine and eighty three. the The entire, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not kidding, and that's why the dominant, the dominant band of my youth, of my teenage years, of my high school years, is the Police. One of, one of my favorite bands of all time. Um, and um, and because it was just like formative years. I mean, you know, I was a freshman in, in seventy nine, and I graduated as a senior in eighty three. Uh, in the summer of eighty three, Synchronicity came out. Um, and uh, yeah. 
So, were, were you as productive as Sting was in those four years? Please, Nick? are you kidding me? <laughs> Listen, I graduated with two point two, Jim. <laughs> I'm not. No, I'm not. That's a, that's a tough look. It's a not. I'm not joking. I graduated with a two point two from high school because you know I'm a genius. <laughs> I was at that the the kickoff of the synchronicity tour at Comiskey. Oh wow! Yeah, did you? You've heard the lineup, right? Uh, is a flock of seagulls on that? Yep, flock of seagulls. The fix ministry when they sound yeah. ministry when they sounded like the Pesh Okay, mode. and uh, and then Joan Jett who got booed off the stage. See, oh my God, really? That's amazing. Well, you know why? Because um, it was the the crowd was all new wavers. Yeah, that crowd. And, right. I mean, and Joan Jett. I, 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 obviously, I love Joan Jett. She's awesome. But that was a weird entry to that lineup because everybody else was all new wavy and techno-y. You know what I mean? Right. And right. here's here's Joan Jett doing three chord rock, and people were like, "What? What the hell is this?" See, I give you a hard time about Sting, but I love the Police. Yeah. Well, you can't please. <laughs> I, I I remember the first time the I remember the first time I heard Roxanne I was like what is this and I, that's how I felt the first time I heard Fields of Gold <laughs> and I'm just standing in like a field of wheat uh, bass oh I love that song uh, I'm a I'm a I I back the sting back the sting nothing like the sun his second solo album is one of my favorite albums of all time it's a desert island disc for me. I would honestly bring it to a desert island. Yeah, jeez. I'm not kidding. Nothing like the sun. Double album from Sting, 1988, 87, 88. Can you imagine getting rescued from a desert island and all you're saying to these guys are Sting lyrics? Yeah. Nothing like the sun, man. I'm He's telling you. He lost Nick his mind. Misses. He, it's a, it's a, Nick misses the rescue boat because the yeah, Sting is too yeah, loud. No, yeah, the rescue boat's coming right in the middle of, right in the middle of his version of... Uh, of uh 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 uh, uh, uh what, what's what am I covering? He covers the Hendrix song on there. Covers Hendrix? Yeah. Uh, it's all right. It's all right. I'm sorry. That sounds horrible. I'm trying to remember <laughs> what's what. That, what's that song he did named after that place in uh, Indiana? No, he he covered uh, Valparaiso. What was the, Valparaiso? Yeah, that's that's. <laughs> Is that how you say that? That's how he says it. So, oh, it's a. a uh, okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, Little Wing. That's the uh, that's the song that he covers on there. Okay. Let's go to the news. Oh wow. Hey, hi, it's Nick DeGilio on 720 WGN live in the Skyline studio here until 4 a.m. as we are every weekday morning. Uh, Coming up, we're going to be talking about uh, some uh, unbelievable weather records and some uh, cursed objects from history. Uh, My dad's going to call in and tell a joke. He is going to call in and tell a joke. Um, I took uh, some time off last week to spend some time with my dad, uh, who's been going through some uh, medical stuff and had... uh, uh, some appointments and some tests, and he had to go through a procedure, so I took some nights off to spend with my family. Uh, but he's uh, he says he feels great, and um, he looks good, 
but uh, he's still got uh, some uh, appointments and some tests and uh, another procedure he has to go through next week. And so I, I spent time, um, you know, with my mom and with my dad. So that's that's why I took a, a few nights off um, this past week. So, but he's going to call in. He's going to tell a joke at the at the regular time. Uh, so three one two nine eight one seven two hundred is the phone number. It's Nick DeGilio here. If you would like to join us, we're live in the Skyline Studio, and uh, we would love to hear from you. Uh, here is Jim Ryan, our our guest here, uh, entertainment and music writer for Forbes dot com. Hi, Jim. Hello, Nick. Um, yeah, is there, are there any artists that uh, pop into your head? We were talking about artists that uh, had a great run, like uh, four, five, six albums in a row that were just insane. Yeah, the uh, the first four Ramones albums came out in two years, <laughs> seventy six <laughs> to seventy eight. Wow, their best their best four albums, their first four albums, yeah. straight out of the gate. Wow, two years, seventy six to seventy eight. I remember I saw four them. albums. What do you think the running time is total on those four albums? About I don't know, hour and a half. <laughs> An hour. <yeah. laughs> Um, I remember I saw them in 1993. I've only seen them one the one time. I saw them in 1993. Oh, I never saw them. And Where did you um, see them at? Riv. And okay. I remember thinking, oh, man. You know, I thought yeah, these guys are, you know, they're old. You know, they're, they're right. you know, a bunch of them are dead. You know, I was just thinking, <laughs> you know, this is not going to be good. And it completely kicked butt. I mean, they didn't, there was no talk between songs. It was just one, two, three, four. One, two, three. <laughs> And they would just launch into it. I'm telling you, they played like 40 songs in an hour. It was just, it was. I love it. Yeah. And it was amazing. It was one of the best shows I've ever seen. And again, it was one of those shows that I had, my my expectations were pretty low because it was 1993, man, you know? Right. Uh, but they were amazing. They were amazing. There's a hilarious video you can find on YouTube from right around that time. It's probably like 92. Yeah. Uh, where the Ramones are doing a rock the vote ad, if you remember those. On oh, TV. yeah, 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 yeah. And it's hysterical watching Johnny in particular, who's clearly just reading cue cards as he's trying to, you know, get out the vote. Yeah, that's great. It's quite hilarious. That is hilarious. All right. Uh, here's Ken on WGN. Hi, Ken. Hello. Hi. Uh, hi, Nick. I want to submit early Elton John. I think everything he did uh, from the beginning on up through uh, Goodbye Elbic Road. Or uh, home run, home runs. Yeah. I would agree. I can. I would totally agree with you on that. And I think that's where it, that's where it kind of ends. Is good by Yellow Brick Road. Uh, he had a couple of good songs after that, but like for me, Elton John in the seventies was incomparable. You know what I mean? Like seriously. Like I mean, his output in the seventies was insane. Yep, that's what I think. Um, Madman probably is my favorite. Uh, hard to beat that one. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Uh, all, right from the beginning, 11, 17, 70, Madman, uh, Tumbleweed, Connection, Anki Chateau, Don't Shoot Me, I'm Only uh, the Out Player, and yeah. then uh, Goodbye, Elbert. Goodbye, Elbert. Yeah. I totally agree with that. And I would agree with yeah. you that Madman's my favorite. Madman's my favorite Elton Town song, too. I love that song. Yeah, that's a desert. That, that album is a desert, a desert island yeah. classic, too, all right. for me. Yeah. All right, Nick. Good. Thank you, Ken. Right. I would agree with that, Jim. 70s the 70s so, out, the 70s output from Elton John is insane. It's just 69 insane. to 73 is Empty Sky to Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, so 4 it's years. Ridiculous. And uh that's seven studio albums, a soundtrack and a live album. Isn't that crazy? 
Yeah, isn't that nuts? That's incredible. Yeah, it's completely... Nine albums in four years. I do have that uh, Ramones Rock the Vote ad. Oh, what? Dude, you got it. Okay, let's, let's hear it. Let's take a listen. Yo, what's up? A lot of you didn't vote last year. A lot of you aren't even registered. If you think that keeps the politicians up at night, forget it. A lot of them don't want you to vote. That's why they make rhetoric things so hard. <laughs> Makes what? Washington, what, what are you afraid of? of? That is that is fantastic. That is absolutely fantastic, Jim. It's so good. Oh my God, that's great. Yeah, I remember Rock the Vote. Oh, I, 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 yeah, that was a big that was a big thing. It was like uh-huh. the, it was like in the eighties, right? I think it was the early nineties. I, I really it was Clintonish uh, MTV. Yeah, yeah. Rock the Vote. Oh, that was funny though. That was funny. Ramones on Rock the Vote. Johnny Ramone is funny on so many levels. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What was it? What's who, who said who mispronounced register? What, I what, think that was Johnny. Was that Johnny? <laughs> 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 and then CJ makes fun of him. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Which is oh, great. Oh. All right. Uh, here's John on WGN. Hey, John. Hey, Nick. What's up, buddy? Hey. Um, great show. Always, always awesome when you have Jim. I, I'm a music buff, so I listen to anything historical or anything about music it's pretty awesome thanks but um you know what the the guy that lost it for me in the 80s might even been as late as late 70s was rod stewart oh god yeah when he came out i think you know what maybe even sooner than that because when he came out with like do you think i'm disco maybe that did it <laughs> yeah, like, well it's do you think i'm sexy do you think i'm disco or steve disco. doll this, okay, that's Steve. No, that's Steve Dahl. Yeah, this Steve. <laughs> I, I think you and I. Are, I'm 50, so we grew up around the same. Yeah. Same era. Yeah. So, no, Rod, that's that's a, that is about as a, a, a huge about face as you can possibly get. Because Rod Stewart, like in the 60s and early 70s, was one of the greatest rock vocalists of all time. Faces was amazing. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't even know what happened there. I still. I still. Yeah. Ba- I still bank young. I, I still back Young Turks. I back. I ba- oh, I, no, no, I back that song. I like that song. Um, but that, but it was like kind of after that where it was like, except for he he reunited with um, with Beck in the eighties to do the Sam Cooke cover. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, people people get, ready, yeah. get ready. Yeah, that that is fantastic. So that 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 is that was a return to form right there. No question about yeah, it. Yeah, but that right around that same time was some guys have all the luck. I know, I know, <laughs> I know. But you got to give them. So bad. You got to give them due for for uh, people to get ready because I mean that version. Is, him, the version is fantastic. I give him due for the face. Another That's guy. About all I give him due. Yeah. What, John? Another guy that I've never have gotten into, and I still don't get. And I know what he's done in the music world is. Uh, I know people are going to hate me for saying this, but Neil Young. Oh man! All right, John, we're done talking. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for thanks for calling, John. Thanks, thanks for John. Calling. Okay, I can't abide by that. <laughs> I do love me some. I, I you know I will I will I will give John that there are peaks and valleys in that catalog. Well, I mean, he experimented a lot. You know, yeah. you know, and uh, but uh, Neil Young is one, I think one of the greatest singer songwriters in the history of music, and he's he's one of my favorite artists of all time. I uh, I you know. I can't, you know, and one of the, and without question, without question, the best greatest hits package of all time is decade. That no, pretty good. Nothing even comes close. So.
All right, Jim, hang uh, on. Six, sure. Hang on, Jim. All right, we got more here to talk about uh, music-wise and more with Jim Ryan, and we'll play a round of Rock of Ages. Jim loves it. Nick DeGilio on 720 WGN. We're live in the uh, Skyline studio here until uh, 4 o'clock. My dad's going to call in and tell a joke because it's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. Uh, spent the last, uh, I, was off, I was off for a few days here, uh, spending time with my family. My dad's going through some medical stuff, but he's still feeling good, and he's going to tell a joke this morning, but I just uh, spent time with the family. Uh, my dad went through some stuff and the procedure and all that cool stuff, so I felt it was important for me to. Uh, I took I took some time off uh, from here and spent some time with my mom and dad. So, but uh, I'm back and we're here. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred is the phone number. Uh, Jim Ryan is with us, music uh, and entertainment writer for Forbes dot com. Uh, Jim, you were going to say something right before we. You said sixty uh, something. No, just uh, following up on John's call there. Neil Young put out his first three albums in fifteen months. And his first four albums in three years. And those albums, by the way, are Neil Young. Everybody knows this is nowhere after the gold rush and harvest. So come on, man. That's pretty good. <laughs> that's a pretty good three years. No, that's not bad. That's not bad. I know, you know, here's the here's the thing that he, that I get from people who, who are not crazy about Neil Young. Oh, I know. I already know where this is going. It's his voice. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's it's the, the Getty the Getty Lee. Yeah, my, my 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 friends who are like, look, I can appreciate Neil Young, I just can't stand his voice. And that's that's the thing about that's you know where you know who I fall I, I fall into that category with. Who's that? Axl Rose. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, I can't. Oh man, I love I love stand. Axl Rose. I, 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 I'm long been a defender of, of Guns N' Roses. Oh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not a big Guns N' Roses fan. In fact, I don't like them. But one of the main reasons I can't stand him is because of Axl Rose. I cannot. He's a pretty unlikable person, just well, in general. In, in, in addition to his voice, and I'm I'm just talking about his. I don't care what a jerk he is off stage, uh, and that he caused like a riot. In uh, was it Canada? Many in, times. What in uh, Montreal, St. Louis? Yeah, there were a lot of those. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but it's just his voice just drives me nuts. So, but you can't deny. I mean, how big Appetite for Destruction was. Jeez, that record was huge. Yep. Oh man, was it huge? And Jim Carrey lip synced "Welcome to the Jungle" in the Deadpool. <laughs> you remember that, Jim? I have not seen that. No. Oh, oh, oh. it's the uh, final Dirty Harry movie called The Deadpool, and uh, it's it's a it's a good movie. It's a goofy movie, but it's good. And uh, there's a there's a part of the movie where they're shooting a film, and uh, in Jim Carrey before he was Jim Carrey, this was like okay, um, you know, this was like I think it was even pre Living Color. Um, wow, uh, or it could have been just like the beginning of In Living Color, but he lip syncs "Welcome to the Jungle." I'm gonna have to check that out. Yeah, it's also a good. It's also a fun movie. I mean, it's a goofy. It's not you know one of the best Dirty Harry movies, but uh, but it's still it's still good though. 
You know, you, you, Tom, you've seen it, obviously. Yeah, but I, I'm my vote's going to go for Jim Carrey and the Cable Guy singing uh, "Somebody" or, or with like, somebody to love. Yeah, somebody to love, yeah. like Jefferson Airplane. Well, yeah, well, he's actually singing that. Yeah, because it's karaoke. They're doing karaoke. Yeah, it is karaoke. Yeah, but like he's lip syncing Jim Karaoke. Yeah. By the way, criminally underrated movie, Cable Guy. Criminally underrated. Uh, and much maligned for absolutely no reason because it's really pretty brilliant. I think it might be Ben Stiller's best movie as a director. I think it might be the best movie he's ever made. So I'm trying to think if he's made any other. Greenberg? Is that him? He didn't direct that. Noah Baumbach directed Greenberg. Oh. Um, all right. So, Jim, let's talk about this. This is exciting. You you interviewed some really amazing people over the, over the past. <laughs> been, uh, yeah. I mean, really incredible. Let's start with Chris Franz of The Talking Heads. Um, this, yes. this, he's got a new book, correct? He does. Um, and one of, the, one of the best parts of the book comes early, uh, and it is at the expense of the aforementioned Johnny Ramone. Oh, really? What, what, tell me about it. <laughs> the Talking Heads' first tour was, their first, their first big tour was opening for the Ramones in Europe. Um, this is going to shock you. John, Johnny's not a real cultured guy, and he was pretty, he was pretty much miserable every day of that tour. Uh, I think the words he kept saying every time they'd go somewhere was, this is bleak. <laughs> uh, until in Paris, everyone, everyone in both bands went out. They were trying to get, trying to get some, some cuisine. Johnny totally lost it somewhere just outside Paris, made the bus pull over to let him out. Uh, when they passed at McDonald's, <laughs> that was the happiest he was on the entire tour. Was when he found a McDonald's in France. Wow. That must have been something yeah. though, to open for the Ramones, like your first tour ever, and, and you're opening for them. Now I wonder like, what the, did, crazy, did right? he say what the reception was like because the the, the Ramones and, and the Talking Heads are a completely different kind of. I mean, they kind of right. they kind of come from the same kind of origin, but they're well, comp- he he tells he tells the story of them auditioning for it at CBGB. So the Ramones are there and they're kind of judging these other bands at CBGB to see who's going to open for them. Yeah. And the talking head, the talking heads perform and Johnny cuts them off and goes, they suck. They'll work. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. They suck. The Johnny Ramones stories in the book are so good. Oh, I bet. I bet, man. Oh man. Uh, I bet, I bet Chris friends though has a ton of stories. Um, uh, we'll, He's, oh Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so how's the book? The book is wonderful. Uh, it's, I mean, he, uh, so he's been married to Tina Weymouth from Talking Heads and Tom Tom Club this whole time. They met in art school. They formed Talking Heads together. She kept, because I asked him, I said, your recollections of that tour opening for the Ramones are so detailed. He knew the number of encores each night. He knew anything you could possibly imagine about these shows in this book. And he said it was Tina who kept a journal. And so he was able to draw from that. Yeah. Uh, that it was accurate, that it was detailed, and that kind of served as the basis to at least get it started. Yeah, they they've always been one of my favorite rock couples of all time, for sure. Yeah, I mean, just so cool. Yeah, one of the few that stuck it out all these years. I yeah. think he said it's uh, they just celebrated thirty six years. I think he said. Oh, that's so cool. That is so cool. What are some of the other cool things in the in the in the book? And the book is called uh, "Remain in Love." Okay, so it, it kind of gets into gets into his you know relationship with Tina all these years. Um. You know he doesn't he doesn't pull back on uh, David Byrne that's for sure. David really? Byrne does not come across in a positive light in this book. Really? Well, what what are some I mean, of the... we, Well, we know there was a lot of acrimony, right? They haven't they've never reformed. There's 
there's always been, they've kind of been at arm's length with the exception of the rock and roll Hall of fame induction. You know, they've always kind of kept it at arm's length. He tells a story, the second song they ever wrote before they even had a record deal. So there's no, there's no money coming in. There's no fame. There's none of this. The second song they ever wrote, I think it appeared on the second album. David went back and was trying to, but he, this is what he claims in the book went behind their backs and was trying to change the writing credits. So even at that point, he had that foresight to be looking way down the road at these writing credits as a source of income. And it's, it's like, so from that early of a period, you just, the table's kind of set for how these, how the talking heads were going to be slightly at odds with David Byrne pretty much the entire time. How did they survive that? I mean, you know, because, I mean, they had so much success, especially like when, you know, when Stop Making Sense came out. I mean, come on. He, uh, he tells a story in the book about being in the studio, I think, recording, recording something for Tom Tom Club. It might have been Genius of Love and shooting up the street to record Stop Making Sense. Mm. And I remember being like, that's a hell of a day. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, because Tom Tom Club had major success before the Talking Heads did. They had golden platinum status before the Talking Heads did. Mm-hmm. So that was also a source of contention for David. Because of the Tom Tom Club? Because they had the success before the band did, yeah. How did David get into the, to the Talking Heads? So they met at art school in Rhode Island. Um, Tina and Chris were going to the Rhode Island School of Design uh, David had been a student there, but wasn't when they met. Um, but they met there and just kind of started gigging. Uh, the three of them moved to New York together, uh, wound up living together in squalor in New York to get the band off the ground. And uh, once they signed a record deal, literally the day they signed the record deal is when Jerry Harrison finally agreed to come on board. He said he wouldn't come on board unless they had a deal. Oh, is that right? <laughs> uh-huh. He's like, okay, now I'm in. Wow. Uh, you know, I wasn't yeah, so, aware. I wasn't aware that Tom Cub, Tom Cub Club had that kind of success. I think a lot of it was outside America too. I think they had a much bigger, at least initially. Not that's no longer the case, obviously, but right in you know the early eighties. Well, I mean, for yeah, me, they got there first. The, the first, like obviously, Genius of Love is the first thing I think of when I think of the Tom Cub Club. For sure. I mean, and it's such a great song, and I love the video. And there's the influence on hip hop, and yeah, there's all kinds of. It's kind of amazing. Yeah, they're way way ahead of its time. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's it's too bad that uh, that David Byrne comes off as such a uh, as such a jerk, and I've and I've heard stories as well, not just for, not just from uh, Chris Franz, but from other people, which is too bad because I love David Byrne. I think he's so so do I. I, I mean, ridiculously talented. And like I said um, a couple of months ago, he was the uh, musical guest on uh, on SNL, and it was one of the greatest musical performances I've ever seen on SNL ever. In my life. I saw him twice on that tour because he presented it on SNL similar to the way he did right. on stage on that tour. Right. And he was going out of his way in the press on the run up to that tour to connect it to Stop Making Sense. I'm sure. And I was like, everything about David Byrne is he never connects it to anything right. in the back catalog. It's always that push, push ahead, push ahead. Right. So right. I was like, if he's, if he's going out of his way to connect to Stop Making Sense, this has to be unbelievable. And it was, obviously. I can imagine. I can imagine. All right, uh, Jim, hang on, okay? 
Uh, I want to sure. get I want to get more more uh, details from Chris Franz's book as well from Talking Heads. So uh, Jim Ryan is with us on seven twenty WGN. Uh, hello, it's Nick DeGilio on seven twenty WGN. We're live in the Skyline Studio here until four o'clock on this Monday morning. My dad's going to call in and tell a joke. Um, we are going to talk about um, some uh, cursed objects in history and uh, also unbelievable weather records. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred is the phone number. We would love to hear from you. You are why we are here. Uh, Jim Ryan is here. He is uh, a music and entertainment writer for Forbes.com. Joins us once a month to talk music, have some fun, and play a little trivia. We'll play Rock of Ages trivia game coming up a little bit later. And uh, here's Jim. Hey, Jim. Hello, Nick. Uh, did you talk to Chris about the uh, the success and the effect that uh, uh, the success of, of not just the uh, the album but the, the concert film of uh, um, Stop Making Sense made? On the had the we, effect they had. We didn't get into it a ton, but what we what we did talk about, especially in light of uh, you know, t- uh, the reason that Chris and Tina even did the Tom Tom Club album was because David was doing a solo album and Jerry Harrison was doing a solo album, and they're like, if we if money is going to keep coming in, we got to do something. So they did the Tom Tom Club album, and it winds up being bigger at that point than anything Talking Heads had done. So David, what he, what he winds up working on down the line was the film, the, the film that John Goodman's in, True Stories. Yeah, True Stories, sure. Do you yeah, like our, that our good, our, good, our good friend Stephen Toblowski uh, uh, co-wrote that. But it didn't do real well at the box office. No, it didn't. I think it's terrific. Uh, I think it's so terrific, yeah. It, it wound up being that thing that they had that huge success solo. He couldn't equal it or match it at that point. You know, with what was pretty much a David Byrne solo project, even though it was talking head songs and stuff on it, it's in a lot of ways it's his his, his oh, baby at that point. Yeah, no question about it. Yeah, I find it kind and, of I find it kind of funny that David Byrne was like, you know, hoping for more mainstream success with I don't know either Talking Heads or his solo stuff, or even his like look at his collaborations with Brian Eno, some of the weirdest stuff I've ever heard. Yeah. And uh, I think David Byrne is just one of those guys where he's just too weird to be. Well, did he really a huge pop success? Here's you know you're a movie guy. Did you, is just true stories seem like a movie that's going to cross over into mainstream success? Not particularly. No, no of course I, not. That's like art cinema. So <laughs> yeah. it's it's for David Byrne fans, people yeah. who are big fans of David Byrne and big suits. Yeah, you know. But I really liked that movie. I thought that movie was really. I thought it was really good. And I've heard great stories. You know, I mean. Stephen Toblowski, um, you know, who co-wrote it, uh, you know, speaks very highly of David Byrne. He didn't. I've never heard any, you know, bad stories about David Byrne from Stephen. But again, Stephen Tobo is like one of the nicest guys on the planet, and I don't think he would talk crap about anybody. So no, it's not for him. Yeah, but uh, so so the the book is out right now. It is yes. It is available. And, uh, remain in love. Remain in love is what the name of it is. Uh, so you can check that out. And uh, He was doing a, a funny online book tour because he had to cancel his book tour in support of this, right? And he was calling uh, he was calling his book tour Remain Online. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that's where we're at right now. You go, you're doing a book mm-hmm. tour, you're doing it, you know, virally. You know what I mean? So it's like the strangest thing because there will literally be Tori Amos did this too. It's filmed while they're signing the books and then like they'll 
read and answer questions that people have sent in. It's a very, it's a very strange time, obviously. Mm. You know, it's interesting. You uh, you brought up the question or uh, an observation, and then turned into a question about uh, back during nine eleven. You heard uh, Talking Heads' "Life During Wartime." Um, oh yeah, yeah. You were talking about how relevant it sounded again during that time. That was a that was a crazy thing because he so nine eleven happened. The first concert in Chicago that wound up happening that wasn't canceled um, was David Byrne. It was David Byrne at the Riv. So he's a guy who famously doesn't drive. He bikes everywhere, but he rented a car. I think he was in New York, rented a car, rented multiple cars with his band and drove to Chicago because he said he felt there needed to be some sense of of normalcy during that crazy time that he felt it was important to not cancel that gig if there was any way around it. And planes weren't flying. So that was, that was what he did was rented a car, rented several cars to get the crew, the band, everybody to Chicago to do it. And I think from Chicago, they drove down to Indianapolis and did a show there too. But that night when he did life during wartime, people were like crying around me at the rib. It was unlike anything I'd ever seen. It was, mm. I mean, everybody got it immediately. It was just crazy. Yeah. I can imagine. I can imagine. I, it's, it's, it's interesting how, when things happen, you know, like like I've told this story a million times before, this isn't quite as profound as, you know, hearing life during wartime, you know, around 9-11 and having people around you crying. But, um, you know, there's this movie called The Green Room. Um, okay. Uh, and it's, it's a terrific movie, a great movie, in fact. And it's about a punk band that uh, is, is playing a gig at a bar that's run by skinheads, uh, led by the okay. way, led by the way, by Patrick Stewart. Um, oh wow! Oh yeah! No, this is a, this is a, this is a good one. This is this is a good movie, very violent, very crazy. And so, at the beginning of the movie, this punk band, and it's one of uh, Anton uh, Yelkin's final final films. Um, but anyway, so at the beginning of the movie, this this punk band is in the green room of this you know this this bar where they're going to play this gig that's you know full of skinheads, and uh, they, there's a journalist there, they're being, and they're being interviewed. And uh, the journalist asks them what their favorite artists are. And they're all like, you know, they got a punk attitude. So they're naming like punk bands or bands that nobody ever heard of, you know, or hardcore bands and things like that. Just, you know, with their punk attitude. Then towards the end of the film, when things, cause basically what happens is they get trapped in this green room. These, these skinheads are going to kill them. And it gets really ugly and really violent and really crazy. And it's also a great film. But anyway, um, so later in the movie... Uh, when the crap has already hit the fan and they're under a ton of pressure and they know they could die any minute and they're trying to escape from this place. Um, and, you know, uh, it's just blood has been spilled. People have died and it's it's terrifying at this point. And, and they're very vulnerable and very scared. So um, right at that point, they as they're going to bust out and try to get out of the try to get out of the uh, out of the club. Um, and they're preparing, you know, they're, they're trying to get weapons ready. They're preparing to bust through the door and fight these skinheads and get the hell out of there. And they could die. And at that moment, they start admitting their real favorite bands. Okay. And, uh, you know, like somebody, I can't remember what some of them were, but they were like, you know, mainstream stuff or pop. You know what sure. I mean? And they finally... This they be me admitting I love Brian Adams, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It was that kind of thing, you know, because they're punk band. You know, they had that punk attitude. They wanted to they maintain cool. that. Right, yeah. so at the end of the movie, when all the crap hits the fan and they might die, they start actually telling people, they start admitting some of their favorite bands. Uh, and someone, <laughs> and one of the band, I think it was Anton Yelkin. Was it Anton Yelkin, Tom? I think I'm so. Not, who says, who says, who says, he says Prince. 
And um, well, so he says Prince. And so Green Green Room came out the day after Prince died. Um, and uh, it played it, it played at the Music Box, and I saw it the opening night. I saw it the Friday. Prince died the night before. Um, and so um, it, it was the theater was like about three quarters of the way full, big kind of excited crowd. And everybody's watching this movie, and it's a really visceral film. You know what I mean? It takes you on a roller coaster ride. And it, and, sure. And so, at that moment, when um, he says Prince, because Prince died the day before, the entire theater er- erupted in applause. And it was oh, wow. it was just this moment where people were like, "Oh!" And then they arrived the entire place, including me. We had tears in our eyes, and we were just applauding when he said Prince. And it was really an amazing moment. You know what I mean? It was one of these moments where it's like, wow. Um, so I, I, you know, as, as people are wont to do, I posted on Facebook this experience that I had just had. Um, and evidently it happened around the, uh, around the U.S. Like at screenings, oh, wow. at screenings of Green Room, people went nuts when, when they, they said Prince. And uh, it's it's just a testament to the kind of impact that you know, like artists have on people, you know. Yeah, that was one of the things we talked about. Uh, was in Prince came up in this conversation. Bowie too was that Talking Heads. I mean, just like Prince, almost at, at the same time in the, the early to mid '80s, you know, into the late '80s, early '90s, looked and acted and sounded different. Right? Nobody nobody sounded like Prince. Nobody looked like Prince. Nobody looked like the Talking Heads. No one sounded like them. And I think they played a real role at that point in making it okay, <laughs> you know, helping people to accept, to wrap their head around something that looked or acted or sounded different. And I, we, we talked about the fact that that's a role music kind of has always played and, and certainly maybe in the world today is, is more important than ever. Was that a concerted effort on their part to, to be different? Or I mean, I mean, obviously, I don't, I don't think it was fake. You know what I mean? I, 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 right. I, I think they, they are who they are. But did they actually recognize that, that the kind of difference that they were making? I, I think certainly at least David Byrne did. I think there was a concerted effort at all times to not repeat himself, to not do anything. I think I think for him, for sure, it was a concerted effort to always push forward to something that was different and new with no repetition. Yeah. Well, I mean, even to this day, he just refuses to look back, which I kind of like that about him. No, I agree. I totally agree. Uh, and, and, and I remember, God, I remember when Stop Making Sense came out, when the movie came out, Jim. I'm, right. not, I'm not kidding. Um, my friends and I w- went down to the Fine Arts Theater on South Michigan Avenue, like every weekend, and saw it. Like I don't know how I don't know how many weekends in a row. Would you would you just go? What do you want to do? Let's go see. Stop making sense. Um, I still maintain it's the best concert movie ever made. Um, I just saw that it's streaming on Prime, so I'm going to need to watch it, it again. Is, it's unbelievable. And Jonathan Demi, man, I mean, you know. He, that guy could make concert movies. Pretty good for the guy behind Caged Heat. Yeah, yeah, and also, I mean, he did the he did the Spalding Gray, uh, you know, one man one man shows. He directed those too. I mean, it just Jonathan Demme was so prodigiously talented. I mean, it, despite the fact that he made Silence of the Lambs, it, it's uh... <laughs> just just knock it off, will you? Just knock it off. It was the, I, I I have to tell you, Tom. Do you ever what? Do you have a list of movies that that you were insanely disappointed by? Like you went in with like really big expectations? Because for me, number one is Silence of the Lambs. Without question, number one is Silence of the Lambs. I think I stopped going into movies with any sort of expectations about 10 years ago. Was there a specific movie that did it for you? Like you went in with expectations and went, oh. 
You know what? Uh, I don't. I don't really know. I don't know really know when it started, but I was just like, you know, I found it better to be a pessimist about things. Yeah. Well, then <laughs> you like, can't be disappointed. Yeah, because you're either pleasantly surprised or you're right. So, uh, Jim, was there ever a movie that you were really looking forward to, and then he ended up being like, oh, and then hated? Yeah, I'm trying to think. Like really disappointed for me, Silence of the Lambs is number one. I mean, without it doesn't even come close. And I've been disappointed by a lot of movies, but that one was like, oh, you got to be kidding me! I got to think about that one. Yeah, see, I like Silence of the Lambs, though. I will say Every, that. But look, I'm the only person on the planet that hates that movie. Seriously, and I understand that. I acknowledge it. Look, I saw it three and a half times in the theater because every single person that I know and respect loves it. So I would go back and try and give it another shot. And by the fourth time I was in theater, I left after about 40 minutes. I was like, I can't sit through this anymore. Yeah, you gave it the old college try. I tried, man. I just can't do it. And But I'll tell you this. Uh, the the performances are great. That and I just think the movie's repulsive on, on every you know, I can level. Give you, I can give you a series that, that, just like you just said, everyone whose opinion I respect to the nth degree yeah. loves it. Yeah. And it did nothing for me. And I've tried so many times to watch it on Netflix. I did finally get through it, and it's still, I'm just like, no, Mad Men. Yeah, I, you know, I liked Mad Men. I didn't love it. I, I, I thought it looks fantastic. I, yeah. I think it's the period. It's period appropriate. It's well done. Yeah. Uh, I like the little cues they give you subtly along the way to tell you where where we're at year-wise, how, how it's progressed. But, right. you yeah, know, it just didn't do it for me. I mean, I liked it. I didn't love it. Uh, and, but, you know, it it... it it gets a pass because of Elizabeth Moss is in it, so that right there makes it good. So I'm going to say Metallica's output for the last 20 years. <laughs> Are you including the Black Album? No, that's kind of the last stand. But honestly, I mean, I don't, I don't really get the hype. Uh, the uh, load and Reload have moments. I think I think Load and Reload are both pretty yeah. good. I, I I back those. That's it though. After that, yeah, like Saint uh, Saint, Saint, Saint Anger. What the hell? Saint Anger is terrible. No, that's terrible. Gave us a really good documentary, though. Yes, it did. <laughs> that documentary is hysterical. Yes, it, yeah, it is absolutely. It is, but you know, I mean, I I back the Black Album. I know, like a heart, all the hardcore, oh, yeah. all the hardcore Metallica fans that are like, "This sucks." They sold no, out. Like, shut up. That, they feel they, they feel the need to say that they enjoy it too. No, it's a terrific record. It's a it's a great record. So, all right, hold on a second, Jim. Sure. All right, uh, and that uh, by the way. Um, Remain in Love is is out, and it's uh, Chris uh, Chris Fans' book from the Talking Heads. And uh, Jim got to interview him. He also got to interview some really other amazing people, which we're going to talk about more. And uh, Rock of Ages, another exciting edition, is coming up right here on WGN. Right. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. We're live in the Skyline Studio, 18 stories above beautiful downtown Chicago, and we're here until 4. It is a Monday morning. That means my dad's going to call in and tell a joke because it's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. And uh, he's feeling feeling pretty good, going through some medical stuff. That's why I was off. Took some, night, took some nights off uh, this past week, spending time with the family because my dad was going through some medical procedures and stuff, and he still has some stuff he's got to do next week, but he says he's feeling great. He looks good, um, and he's going to tell a joke later on this morning. 
Uh, we're going to talk about unbelievable weather records and the most cursed objects in history. That's all coming up. Right now we're hanging out with our buddy Jim Ryan. Oh, and, and the news is next from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom. Um, Jim Ryan is a music and entertainment writer for Forbes.com. He interviews, gets to interview some really cool people, and we like to talk about that and much more with Jim. Hi, Jim. Howdy, Nick. Uh, so you caught up with the Doors. Have you been watching any? Have, you know, because I know we've we've talked about in the past uh, what you've been what you've been catching up with, and I see some of your Facebook posts, and we're all kind of spending a lot of time, you know, inside. What have you been watching besides uh, Oliver Stone's epic, The Doors? You know, uh, I, Tom and I were texting about this too. I was watching Natural Born Killers the other day. Oh, where, where are you on God. that one? It's the worst movie ever made. <laughs> No, it's technically the second half of True Romance. It's the it's the worst movie ever made. Um, uh, a, a second worst movie ever made is Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and it's close. I know you hate that one. Yeah, see, I have a soft spot for that. Totally, and that's another one I'm in the minority on. I know that. I just think that Ferris yeah. Bueller. I think Ferris Bueller is one of the most despicable characters in the history of film. I hate him. Spoiled, rotten, North Shore bastard who thinks he can get away with anything. Can't stand him. <laughs> Uh, but he but I hate I I hate natural born killers I hate it it's, okay it, yeah I mean I just I can't stand it and um so where had you ever seen it before yeah it had been a long time but yeah I had seen it I I was unaware until last week that Tarantino wrote so much of it yeah well he he, he he's disowned it I know yeah he has I mean like basically Stone took it and rewrote the whole thing and um. And that's why, like, he, you know, like, I mean, he's, he's he's still on the credits, right? Tarantino's still on the credits. I don't remember. Um, All I, I can he, tell you is I fell asleep in the last hour of, the, of that very long I don't, movie. I don't, I don't blame him. Probably it. missed about a half a half hour in, in there somewhere and woke up and felt like I didn't miss anything. The thing, <laughs> the thing about that is that that's an, another reason why I hate that movie as much as I do. Uh, one, because I think it's just horrible and a mess and stupid and simplistic and thinks it's brilliant because it's not, um, is it, it, it's an, it's an unbelievable cast. Like the cast. You know, see, I was going to say, cause I really enjoy Woody, Woody Harrelson is hysterical. I love him. I, I love a Ju- good movie, but I love him. I love Juliette Lewis. I, you know, I love yeah. her. Robert Downey Jr. Is in it. I totally forgot Rodney Dangerfield. Was Rodney in it. Dangerfield is the abusive father who, who, who shows up, um, yeah, I mean, it's got an unbelievable cast, but I just think the movie is just as bad as you can possibly <laughs> get in a movie. But uh, so you, so what, why, what, what prompted you to to watch Natural Born Killers? I've been going through, I've been revisiting the entire Tarantino catalog. Oh, I see. And when I when I found out that he had written some of Natural Born Killers and it was streaming, I was like, all right, I'll watch. Oh, I haven't watched that in forever. I'll watch that. Yeah, well, he's he hates it. Tarantino yeah, hates that's, it. that's what I ended up reading. Yeah, 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 he hates it, and and you know, and it makes sense. Uh, did you watch True Romance? I did watch True Romance. That's another one I hadn't seen in forever. Yeah, uh, it's a movie I like. I don't love. I wish I wish Tarantino had yeah. directed. I, I wish Tarantino had directed, not Tony Scott. Um, it, it's uh, I mean, it's it's just Christian Slater in general is such a time capsule. It was <laughs> no, it is, and it's fun to watch. Look, I like the movie. I do, I, you know, and I think there are great things in it. I, and especially, I think Gary Oldman is unbelievable in it. And he's, it's a brief, it's Oldman. a brief scene, but he's amazing in it. You must have thought it was White Boy. Didn't yeah, you? I just, I love him in it, and uh, and I, and I, I, one of my, I think one of my favorite, <laughs> one of my favorite scenes in that entire movie. And there's a lot of good stuff in that. I mean, well, first of all, the scene between Christopher Walken and Dennis Hopper. 
is 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 unbelievable. Like seriously, unbelievable. I I it just watching those two guys and that crazy dialogue and the monologue that Hopper has. It's just it's amazing. But one of my favorite moments in that movie, and it's a throwaway moment, Tom. I don't know if you. If you it's um when Bronson Pinchot is uh, zooming down the highway with the chick, and uh, they get pulled over by the cop and the. <laughs> And she smashes the cocaine and it blows all over his face. <laughs> and the cop comes up. He's got cocaine all over his face. I don't know why I find that so funny. And then is his boss Saul Rubinek? Yeah. Um, you broke my heart. Yeah, Saul Rubinek is another guy, man. You got to love that guy. So, but yeah. Now, I mean, so what, so what do you need to watch? Did you read? Uh, I'm through. I think the only thing that's left because uh, I have to pay for it is Kill Bill. Oh, it's Kill both of, you got anywhere. you got both of them, right? Yeah, it's did, not streaming anywhere, so I'm gonna have to pony up. Did you watch Inglorious Bastards? I did. Yes, I yeah, love that movie. I do too. It's uh, it's it, it's great. And uh, did you see his last one? Did you see um, Once Upon a Jay, Time? Or, uh, Once Upon a Time. Late? Once Upon oh, a Time. Yeah, oh gosh, yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. I Brad Pitt is so funny in that movie. He's amazing. Like, and the rewatchability on it because I've watched it so much in the last five months because it's streaming. Yeah, uh, yep. every time he makes me laugh. He's 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 um, he totally deserves that Oscar. He totally deserved the Oscar completely, and and that's actually crept up pretty high on my Tarantino list to the point where it's, I think it, I think yeah. it, I think it might be my second favorite Tarantino movie. Uh, I really, I'm not a uh, Leo guy either. I like a lot of movies he's in, despite him. Yeah, I love Rick Dalton. Rick, the Rick Dalton it's, character it, yeah. is awesome. I just I think I think that movie I love that movie I I just love it you like you like it don't you Tom Yeah well especially the scene where he where he freaks out in his trailer Oh it's fantastic just, <laughs> just, Hey hey whiskey sours yeah. you couldn't have had four <laughs> Yeah couldn't have stopped at four What about the scene with the little girl Oh yeah Which Oh is, my god it's yep. fantastic I, She's it from uh, she's from that one show American Housewife or something like oh, that Oh she is Yeah with. Uh, the uh, Dieter. Uh, oh, Dietrich Bader. Dietrich Bader. Yeah, yeah. he's uh, in that. So yeah. that's where I. Well, I mean, I seriously, I that movie uh, for me, like you said, I think it gets better every time I watch it. I've seen, I've seen, Agreed. I've seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood probably eight times, and and uh, and every time it gets better. And you're right, Brad Pitt's hilarious in it. Like it's just like he's laugh out loud funny. And of course, one of my favorite moments in that movie is when Zoe comes out and starts screaming that. Uh, he threw Bruce Lee into the car, and then and then Kurt Russell is stuntman Mike, and he's actually married to Zoe, yeah. and she starts screaming at him, and I just that whole scene is just classic to me. If you beat anybody to death with your hands, you go to prison. It's called manslaughter. I know that the I know that the Bruce Lee family was not happy with that portrayal. No, they were not. Yeah, yeah. but it's funny. <laughs> it is funny. Yeah. No, the way they the way they recreate the old radio stuff and do you know some of the because I know some some of the uh, some of the movie and TV scenes they threw the Rick Dalton character into like there's Mannix I know that existed but some of that stuff's totally fake made up yeah by Tarantino right and you can't tell if you don't know like because yeah. I didn't grow up watching that stuff yeah you you don't know what's real and what's fake because it's so well done yeah uh, the Great Escape stuff is pretty awesome too. Um, it's, oh my god, I love that movie. Yeah, it's 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 pretty great. I you know the other thing about that movie is it it was one of those movies where I could have watched uh, Brad Pitt just driving around for another two hours. Absolutely, because he just spends oh, yeah. a, there's a, an, an inordinate amount of, of footage that's dedicated to Brad Pitt just driving around and listening to different songs. 
and I and I loved it. And it, <laughs> you would think, wait a minute, on paper this is just going to be a mess, but it worked. All right, Jim, hang on. Sure. All right, Jim Ryan is with us. He interviewed Chubby Checker. Chubby Checker. Come on, man. So we're going to talk about that and much more here on 720 WGN. If you would like to join us, it's 312-981-7200. That's our phone number. Uh, Jim Ryan, music and uh, entertainment writer for Forbes.com. You can check out Radio Jim Ryan. Radio Jim Ryan. Let's get to the news. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN, and we are live in the Skyline Studio, 18 stories above beautiful downtown Chicago. We're here until 4. Uh, my dad's going to call in and tell a joke because it's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. Um, I uh, had uh, I took some uh, a few nights off just this past week. I know people were concerned. First couple of nights I took off because it was impossible to get down here and because of the riots and stuff like that. And also this week, my dad, uh, this past week, my dad went through some medical stuff and including a procedure and a bunch of tests. So I decided I was going to stay with my family. So I took a few nights off to spend time with my mom and my dad and to keep an eye on my dad and make sure everything was okay and keep company with my mom. So that's why I was off. Um, And I thank everybody for the concern and all that cool stuff. And I appreciate it. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. Classic Comedy Carson. We always play some comedy clips from Johnny Carson. Uh, could be uh, a sketch or some stand-up comedy or some comedy and interviews. And so we're going to play back an interview with little Emmanuel Lewis from 1983, the first, very first season of Webster. So we'll uh, play that back. And, uh, of course, Johnny loved him and found him absolutely adorable. Jim Ryan is with us. He's a music and entertainment uh, writer for Forbes.com. He uh, interviewed a whole bunch of really cool people, and we're going to talk about that and more right here on WGN. Let's uh, say hello again to Jim. Hi, Jim. Hello, Nick. Hey. All right. So, uh, uh, first of all, let's go to Manny. Go ahead, Manny. Yeah, uh, it's, it's sort of on the subject you're talking about. First of all, you have a great show as usual. My all-time favorite nonstop, uh, non-spoken movie of all time, nothing but music, and each scene was a Beatles song, uh, Across the Universe. Yeah. I don't know if you ever saw it. Yeah, it's one of my favorite movies. There's dialogue in that movie, Manny. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's not it's nothing, nothing, but I mean, it's it's, a, it, just, it's, it's it, just music, and each scene is well, appropriate. Yeah, to Beatles songs. No, I know it's a it's, but it, it's not just music. Right. I just wanted yeah. to let you know it's not just music. Oh, I, there are people. I forgot. No, no, no. There's it's dialogue. an it's, it's there's dialogue. There are scenes between actors and actresses. They just bust out okay. in the song. So, yeah, I guess I got lost yeah. it. But I, I like the Joe Cocker part when he's doing Come Together yeah. when he's walking out. Of, and, I, I love I, that it, movie. I love that movie. Oh, it's fantastic, and I agree with you about Stop Making Sense. Yeah, it's Excellent. a great movie. Okay, thank you, man. Yeah, that's all I needed to say. All thank right, thank you, you man. You ever see Across the Universe, Jim? Yeah, that Fiona Apple uh, cover of the title track is just lovely. Well, no, that's from Ple- that's from Pleasantville. Was that in Pleasantville? Yeah, the black no. and white. The, <laughs> I have seen the movie, but yeah. Yeah, no. Uh, uh, the, uh, the movie Across the Universe is is uh, is a you know a musical with um, Evan Rachel Wood and Jim Sturgis. Yeah. Um, I I love that movie, and it gets it. it people hate it. I remember when it came out. I really? caught so. Oh yeah, I caught so much flack 
for giving it a rave. In fact, I put it on my top ten list the year it came out, and my two uh, my two um, critic buddies, Eric and Colin, were just like, "What is wrong with you?" <laughs> so. Did they hate it because it was a musical, or what was? I the, just think, I think I, they I thought, remember liking it. I, yeah, I thought it was great. I don't. I mean, I I'm not really sure why they hated it so much, but the movie did not make any money, wasn't very well received, and I don't understand it. I think Across the Universe is a great movie. I really do. So, Jim, you talked to Chubby Checker. Let's talk about that. Come <laughs> yep. on, man! How great is that? It was awesome. Uh, I've been kind of this has been kind of my thing this year is trying to find some of these artists that are that are still around, especially, you know, with, with touring taking off the table, because uh, he was supposed to be performing, geez, I think in the next couple of weeks uh, in St. Charles, Chubby was supposed to be at the Arcata Theater. But with this with this whole touring thing off the table, I, I kind of want to try to track down some of these artists that are still around, especially in Chubby Checker's case, you know, before there was rock and roll, literally, yeah. which is a crazy, a crazy thing to think. Um, so in April... In April, I had uh, in March I had Billy Cox from Hendrix, Hendrix's Band of Gypsies. Yeah. Um, in April, I had the Lyman from the Stones. I had Jimmy Webb in May. Um, Dion in June. Uh, last month it was Chubby Checker and Irma Thomas. So, I mean, it's the 60th anniversary of the Twist. The only song that's topped the Billboard chart twice. Twice. <laughs> How did that happen? What's the story behind that? Because kids loved it when it came out in '61, and when parents finally you know, accepted the fact that it was a catchy song instead of being annoyed by their kids doing this dance. Uh, they started doing it. So it started becoming a hit among celebrities in the clubs. Like, a, and it, it topped the charts a second time because adults started enjoying it. So I think it was 61. The song came out and it hit right away. And then in 62, again, it had come down the chart and went right back to number one. Wow. Now uh, you, cause you had, you had a bunch, then it sparked that whole, you had the dance craze across the country, and then sure. you had all these artists working twist into their songs. Peppermint Twist was was a big one, and so yeah, it's it, it was. Billboard has gone back, I think, in twenty two thousand eight, and in two thousand thirteen, they did it again. They put together the list of the fifty biggest hits in the history of the Hot one hundred, and both times they've named the twist number one. Wow, so is that right? Undeniable. Yeah, the biggest song of all time is what they've called it twice now. Isn't that crazy? Not the Beatles. Isn't yeah. that crazy? I never would have thought of that. I mean, I realized the impact that it made and how popular it was, but boy, I never would have thought it would it would have that kind of title. Well, because I mean, it translated to other artists, you know, working the twist into everything. You had films about it. You had the dance craze. I mean, that was kind of really sparked by Dick Clark's American Bandstand because at that time they were still filming in Philadelphia, and Chubby Checker was living in Philadelphia at the time. Yeah, he was like fifteen. So it's it's crazy all the different ways that that had an impact on you know culture and society. I heard that dancing didn't exist before Chubby Checker invented the twist. I don't think people danced before that. That's I mean he he's got some pretty bold proclamations, um, and that is certainly one. <laughs> dancing did not exist before Chubby Checker. Yeah, my source was uh, an anonymous man named uh, Schmubby Schmecker. I'm not sure yeah. where he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how's Chubby doing? Uh, what's it like? What's it like to talk to Chubby? I mean, it's you know, it's amazing, right? I mean, he's so he's uh, he's he's still living in Pennsylvania, um, but I mean, his story is crazy. It was to cotton fields of South Carolina to the projects of Philadelphia, and lo and behold, the twist takes off, and he's still in high school. That's crazy. Yeah, he re- you know recorded it in a local Philadelphia studio. Uh, eventually, eventually, it made radio in Pittsburgh. But what really, what really set it off was starting to appear on American bandstand with Dick Clark. Yeah. And that, that did it because then 
that sparked the dance craze. Right. Do you call in addition to just the catchy song that was a radio hit? Now you've got, you know, this new fledgling idea of television. Do you call them Chubs for short? <laughs> I did not. It was hysterical because I'm like, how do I address this man? Right? There's, I only had that issue twice. First time was Ice Cube. Like, how do you do, like, Ice, you know, Cube, what am I? Uh, Mr. Cube. What am I calling him, right? Like, um, then the I, second one was Chubby Checker. I met I met Ice Cube um, once, uh, actually, once. Um, he was in town to pick up an award for uh, Boys in the Hood uh, at the Chicago Film Critics Awards, and I picked him up from the okay. hotel. I picked him up from the hotel, and he, oh. and, he and his crew, and uh, he said, you can call me Cube. Call me Cube. Yeah, well, this was 1992, so he was still a hard ass at that time. You know what I mean? Okay. So I had a tape deck in the car, so I put on Original Gangster by Ice-T. I popped it in. Okay. And Cube goes, yeah. He goes, you listen to T? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, all right. <laughs> I figured you would have put on No Vaseline no. or something well, like that. Well, that was pre-No Vaseline. Oh, was that pre-No yeah. Vaseline? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh. yeah. But uh, no, but, um, but it, you know... Um, I popped in I popped in OG, and he was just like, "All right," because I, you know, I'm a white boy, and and uh, and I pop in, I pipe in, and it wasn't just like my lack of knowledge, because I know, you know, especially early '90s hip hop, yeah. the early '90s hip hop, late '80s, early '90s hip hop. Forget it. That's all I was listening to. Like between well, anybody, was like between to. between '88 and like '94, until the Chronic came out. Then I stopped listening. I know that's weird, but when the Chronic came out, I stopped listening to hip hop. Wrong with you? No, well, I don't uh, like the chronic. I don't like it. I don't like I, it. It had to be. It had to be one of my lamest moments answering the phone because I pick it up. <laughs> hello, he called me. I pick up hello, and he goes, he goes, yo, what up? This is Cube calling in, and I go, hi, I go, hi, Ice Cube. This is Jim Ryan and Forbes. You know. Like, oh my God. <laughs> All right, hang on, hang on a second, Jim. Yeah. Hi, Ice Cube. Hi, Mister Ice Cube. If I ever met him, I would ask him to sign my DVD of Are We There Yet? <laughs> are We There Yet 2. I thought that was Are We Done or maybe, is it Are We are There we Yet? Are We Done two? Yet? Are We Done Yet? <laughs> oh man. All right, let's take a let's take a break here. Jim Ryan is with us on 720 WGN. Uh we're going to talk about uh, an interview that he did with Robbie Krieger from the Doors. Uh and we got a game of Rock of Ages to play too. That's all coming up right here on WGN. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. We're live in the Skyline Studio, 18 stories above beautiful downtown Chicago, and we're here until 4. It's a Monday morning. That means my dad's going to call in and tell a joke because it's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. Uh, Jim Ryan is with us, music and entertainment writer for Forbes.com. Um, after 1.30, we're going to play a round of Rock of Ages, baby. It's a trivia game. Uh, hello, Jim. Howdy. Hey, you got to talk with Robbie Krieger. <laughs> yes. Um, and he's got a new album coming out. The Doors have a new album coming yeah, out. Yeah, it's it, no, no, it's just him. Um, okay. it's a it's a solo album, ten tracks, uh, vocalist, instrumental. It, it leans very jazz. There's saxophone on a lot of it. Uh, it's very Frank Zappa inspired. Are you a Zappa guy, Nick? Yes, I am. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Uh, you you dislike the Doors, right? I. Hate- <laughs> 
That's where I'm at. That's going into I, the interview. That's I, hate, I, I hate the doors. Yes, as we've we've mentioned a little bit earlier, I, I hate the doors. Yes, and Tom loves them. Yes, I think love is a little bit. I, I like the doors. Okay, I like the doors quite a bit. Mainly Morrison Hotel and L.A. Woman. Those are my two albums by the Doors that I think are really great. Okay. Now, when we were texting, Tom, you said to me that you'll. You'll concede all the points on Morrison, but you will defend Manzarek, Krieger, and Dinsmore. Correct? Spe- yes, specifically John Densmore, but the uh, uh, because I thought he was an incredible. I think he, he's still alive, right? John Densmore. He's still so. alive. Yeah, he's got yeah. a book coming out in November, actually. So I'm going to try to get him too. There we go. Uh, yeah, I think he's an but, incredible drummer that was miles ahead of the rest of the band, and really he he elevated the uh, the sound a lot more than simple blues rock of the late 60s. So I had no idea that the Doors put out three albums after Morrison died, just Manzarek, Krieger, and Densmore. Are you a fan of those? Who's the vocalist? Do they have a vocalist? Yeah, I can't remember. It was, uh, I don't remember who was singing. I'm going to look it up. Okay. But are you are you familiar with those, Tom? Yeah, I am because you've got uh, what was it other voices? That's one of them. Yeah, that's one of them. And uh, I I don't mind other voices. I wasn't huge into Full Circle. Um, I'm trying to think, what was the other one? Because they did. Yeah, it was other voices. Full Circle in '72. And uh, the only other release I can really think of is an American Prayer. And that's so mainly around other gym. voices is Manzarek and Krieger singing, by the way, Nick. Okay. It's, yeah. Almost pretty evenly split between the two of them. Okay. Uh, the next one is uh, full circle in 72. So yeah, I apologize. I'm two, not three. Cause then the right. third one is the Morrison album, but full circle is primarily Krieger. Densmore actually sings on one. So okay. yeah, so in, I didn't even I didn't even know those existed. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. They're I mean, I don't know. For for most people if you're a fan of the Doors, you're it more or less yeah, ends Morrison. with the death of Jim Morrison. Right. These two are right. just kind of uh on, on, you know, they tried. They tried their best. All right. Well, what was it like to talk to Robbie Krieger? It was uh, you know, it was good. I mean, to to get first-hand account stories of touring with Jim Morrison is pretty amazing whether you know whether whether i like him or not I, I you know it's amazing to hear a story uh he was you know he brought up the miami incident which is the infamous moment in the movie um and kind of almost the beginning of the end in a lot of ways for the band where is that where he, is he pulls accused, his pants down or something or pulls his uh... yeah he's accused of exposing himself and then he, he winds up getting convicted in florida um and he's out on bond awaiting appeal when he dies in paris but that was pretty much the beginning of the end because nobody would book them. All their shows were canceled. They couldn't tour. Oh. But he, <laughs> Krieger brought that up. Um, I didn't even ask. It was, did, I didn't even ask a Doors question. And he brings that up and how they couldn't tour. Uh, and his, ex- his exact quote was, because uh, he was making reference to the fact that they were kind of having to watch Morrison at this point, that everyone thought it was a big party, right? Like, but... I think he's kind of said he's done the majority of his drugs before he ever joined the Doors. His exact quote was, can you imagine having to shepherd Jim Morrison on the road like that? Oh, God. <laughs> no, I can't. So I, it's, I, I mean, to hear that firsthand from him, it's crazy, right? Yeah. Oh, man. 
So, uh, but, so uh, his, his new album, you said, sounds a little jazzy and... Yeah, so his, his longtime producer was in uh, Zappa's band at one point. Uh, his, tr- I believe it's trumpet player, Sal Marquez, who played on Krieger's first solo album, was in Zappa's band for a long time. And then there's two other people who play on the album who played with Zappa. So they cover a Zappa song, and there's very much a Zappa vibe kind of over the whole thing. Mm. So it's interesting. It, do- it doesn't sound like a Doors album at all. I will tell you that. I uh, I think I find it interesting that he's the one who brought up that incident. Yeah, he. I mean, the doors kept coming up because sometimes with artists like this, especially when they're promoting a solo album, I try not to ask a lot of questions about yeah, sure the doors because they don't want to get into it. He kept bringing it up, so I was like, okay. <laughs> so half the interview wound up being about the doors. It was actually pretty interesting because they're also celebrating. It's the 50th anniversary of Morrison Hotel. Oh God, I'm old. <laughs> The 50th anniversary well, yeah, of Morrison. That was, that was one of the things I was thinking when I was watching the movie. I was because, you know, now we're we're talking about Morrison Hotel at 50. But that movie came out in 91, and yeah. Morrison died in 71. So it's only 20 years after he died. Yeah. And they were only around for five years at that point. So, I mean, that would be like making a Pearl Jam movie in 2016. Yeah. You know, that makes 25, sense. 25 years of Pearl Jam from 91 would be 2016. I, I remember. So I was thinking. I I remember when I was in high school. You said he died in '71. I remember when I was in high school yeah. in 1981. They, you know, uh, everybody was listening. Everybody in high school was listening to the Doors. You know, and this was like in 1980, 1981, and everybody was listening to the Doors. And I remember there was a cover of Rolling Stone, and you could probably look this up online. There's a cover of Rolling Stone, Jim Morrison on the front, shirtless, and it <laughs> says he's. Um, He's he's fierce. He's uh, he's he's fierce. He's popular, and he's dead. Um, and they did an article. They did an article about the resurgence in the popularity of the Doors because, like in eighty and eighty one, their record sales went through the roof for some reason. I mean, it was FM radio was Crazy. probably playing a whole bunch of stuff. But yeah, Jim Morrison was on the cover of Rolling Stone ten years after he died. But I mean, twenty five years from that band starting is. You know, ninety-one. Yeah, so, I mean that's crazy to me. It's crazy to me to think that at the time that movie came out, that's where that was at. That it would literally be like watching an Eddie Vedder movie in twenty sixteen. That'd be yeah. twenty-five years from the band starting. I'm like that's it's crazy to think of the Doors that way because I is. just think of them as classic rock. Yeah, it is. It is now. So his his album his album's been released. It's out. It's available. Yeah, it came out on Friday, so it's been out a couple of days. Uh, you get it at his website, and he's selling signed copies of it too. Oh, he is. Okay. Does is it like RobbieKrieger dot com or RobbieKrieger dot com? RobbieKrieger dot com. If you are interested in uh, the uh, album, anything coming up, Jim? That you're going to be the interviews that you're going to be doing that you're looking forward to? Yeah, I've got. Uh, I'm premiering the new Jimmy Chamberlain Complex uh, single on Thursday. Oh, so that's that's kind of a, his kind of jazz outlet too, okay. which is really cool. So. That's coming Thursday at Forbes. Uh, in a couple hours here, I'm interviewing Rhett Miller from Old 97s. Oh, cool. And that'll be running on Friday. They've got a new album coming out Friday. Very cool. That's one of uh, cool. our, our our good friend Vic Vaughn loves Old uh, uh, Yeah, Nick, Vic and I have talked about them many times. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, he, he loves them. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, uh, Jim, you hang on, okay? Will do. Because I know you're about to have so much fun. We're going to launch into a, uh, a, a Rock of Ages, which is a music trivia game, uh, and Jim and I will play it, and uh, we'll see how Jim does uh, uh, this time. All right? That's all coming up right here on 720 WGN. 
right. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. We are live in the uh, Skyline studio here until uh, 4 a.m. Uh, coming up at 2.30, we always play some Carson Comedy Classics. Well, we've got an interview that we're going to play back with the little Emmanuel Lewis from Webster back in 1983. And my dad's going to call in and tell a joke a little later as well. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. Jim Ryan is with us. Joins us, good friend, really cool guy, music and entertainment writer for Forbes.com. Every time Jim is on, we play a round of the music trivia game Rock of Ages. Hi, Jim. <laughs> uh, hi, Nick. Hi. Are you ready? I, do, you, do you want an honest answer? <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. Probably not. Probably not. So go ahead anyway. All right. Uh, so if we, uh, whoever has the most, uh, after a couple of rounds here, will win a... Uh, uh, the Porsche from Risky Business. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Before or after the U- the it falls in the commander. lake. Well, if he, he, who's the U-boat commander? <laughs> yeah. uh, well, he gets it fixed. He does get it fixed. So, But I mean uh, like immediately after the lake. Okay. So no, it's you have to dig it out of Belmont Harbor. That's, that's, the, that's the only problem is if you win, you have to dig it out of Belmont Harbor. Is that where that scene was shot? Was Belmont Harbor? Yeah, and they built that pier. There's, that. there's no pier at Belmont Harbor. They, they I built was going to say because I used to live across the street from it. Yeah, yeah, no, that pier that collapses when the Porsche falls onto it. There's no, there was no pier. There's still no pier. Okay. there at Belmont Harbor. No, there's definitely not. And I remember, I remember seeing the movie in the theater, and I'm like, that's not real. Yeah, that's that's where the scene takes place, Belmont Harbor. So, I did not know that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I know a lot about that movie. It's my second favorite movie of all time. I love that movie. Oh my god. All right. I just watched that last week too. Yeah, I, I watch it pretty much. I watch it frequently. The, you know, the weird thing about that is, Jim, I was eighteen and I just graduated high school, and that movie came out. Oh my god! Yeah, so yeah. It's like... So I it just <laughs> when it was over, I was like, oh my god. <laughs> so, all right, are you ready? Uh, yeah, sure. Fifties and sixties. Uh, which country icon had her first child at fourteen? Her fourth child at 18 and was a grandma by 29. Is it Loretta Lynn? It is Loretta Lynn. All right. Yeah. Did you, did you not know that? No, I just knew she was a coal miner's daughter. Yeah, you've got, you're I'm not trying s- to get her, though. The 50th anniversary, that's coming up, too. She's unbelievable. Uh, yep. Have you not seen the movie with Sissy Spacek? No, I have. I, I just totally forgot that detail. Oh yeah, man! It's been a while. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. I'm not putting in coal miner's daughter all that often. It's a re- it's, it's a really good movie. It's great. Yeah. So, but um, said fifty yeah fifty years of coal miner's God, daughter. God, Loretta Lynn, man, she's so good. The pill is. Did you ever read the lyrics to her song, The Pill? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. It's no, wonderful. she's amazing. Amazing. Okay. All right. Tom's going to ask me a question now. We'll see how dumb I am. <laughs> I don't think we need a question to see that. Thanks. Hey, uh, 50s and 60s, what instrument would Fats Domino push across the stage with his belly to end his concert? Uh, piano? That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> his name is Fats. He would push it across the stage with his belly. <laughs> well, I feel bad oh. for these guys. You got Chubby Checker, Fats Domino. <laughs> You got obese Matt or something. They What's didn't. The, no, but they, they they chose those nicknames. It's not like you know. Oh, they didn't get called Diabetes Dan or something no. like that. No, <laughs> no. Fats Domino. I mean, you know, they they embraced it. He and Chubby Checker embraced those. names. Yeah, I mean, good for them. Yeah, I just both I, from the, around the same era too. I'm glad that they weren't uh, uh, ridiculed for those names. They're terms of endearment. Yeah. 
Anybody else uh, had a had a had a moniker that was that was fat? Minnesota fats. Minnesota fats. The uh, yeah. the pool player. I guess you could say mm-hmm. meatloaf. Meatloaf. <laughs> Did I ever tell you this? They, I, I've told you this, right? When Fight Club came out. Now you know, I don't know. Jim. When, I know he's in it. Yeah. You know. You know. You've read the New York Times, obviously. Oh sure. So in the New York Times, whenever they write an article. Um, and let's say they say the, the the person that they're writing the article is about a guy named John Smith. So in the first part of the article, uh, architect John Smith, blah blah blah. And then for the rest right. for the rest of the article, they refer to him as Mister Smith. Mister Smith, right? Yeah. So Mister Smith did this. Mister Smith did that. Okay. So <laughs> New York Times New York Times ran a review of fight of Fight Club when it came out. Um. And when they first mention meatloaf, they say meatloaf, and then for the rest of the article, he's Mr. Loaf. <laughs> That's fantastic. Mr. Loaf. Mr. Loaf. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I, I laughed so hard when I, because somebody said, hey, you got to, because this was, you know, it was it was online, and they were like, you have to look this up. You have to look this up, because the New York Times referred to him as Mr. Loaf in the review of Fight Club. <laughs> <laughs> he's a he's a bat out of hell, Nick, back into yeah. hell. God, he's so good in that movie, too. Oh. All right. 70s and 80s, you ready? Yeah. Okay. For which hit did Dr. Hook and the Medicine Show make the cover of the Rolling Stone magazine in uh, 73? Wait, say that for for what? (laughs) For for which hit did Dr. Hook and the Medicine Show make the cover of Rolling Stone magazine in 73? So the name of the song is what you want? Yes. The cover of the Rolling Stone. That's exactly right. Oh, it wasn't Sylvia's okay. mother or something? It wasn't Sylvia's <laughs> hey. mother. Sylvia's a, you, mother. Usually, usually around three o'clock, I would have blown that one. Yeah. See. Yeah. Uh, we're we're about ni- we're less than ninety minutes earlier than that, and you're doing fine. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Sylvia's mother. Sylvia's mother said, "Please, Mrs. Avery." Uh, All right. Seventies uh, and eighties. What uh, happened? In the Elton John astronaut saga Rocket Man, yeah. what time was zero hour? Oh, man. What time was zero hour? That's oh, a tough one. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. Now I'm trying to go through the lyrics. Here I am singing the praises of, uh, <laughs> of Elton John earlier. I get an Elton John I question. Mean, to I'm be like, fair, this is remarkably specific. Um you're just going to have to take a shot. All right, I'm going to say uh, uh, 12.05. Nah, 9 a.m. 9 a.m. Yeah. 9 a.m. I should have known that. Seriously. I thought it was 5. Yeah, I was trying to go through lyrics. Yeah, I should have known that. Five, the, that was pre-flight. Five o'clock, wasn't it five, 5 o'clock last night, pre-flight or something like that? I don't know. That sounds right. Yeah. I don't know. I should have known that. Anyway. I'm disappointed with myself, quite frankly. <laughs> hey, speaking of, uh, have you seen the movie Rocket Man, Jim? Yes. I loved it. I loved it, too. It felt more like a Broadway production, I mean, oh, than yeah. a movie, but I enjoyed it. It's a musical. It's like, it's tailor-made for that, yeah. No, it's a musical. But I loved it, yeah. They didn't advertise it that way. You know why? No, because, of the, because of the success of Bohemian Rhapsody, they wanted to, you know, they want, and Bohemian Rhapsody is horrendous. I hate that you know, movie. As, it, I hate it. Uh, we hate We hate it for the same reasons, but as a movie, it's very entertaining to me. Remy Malek is wonderful. I, my problem is just with the liberties... Yeah, they took with the story huge, because huge. the liberties were taken by his bandmates. I know that's the thing that makes me crazy. That's the worst part of it. Like yeah. to to cheapen his role in 
in their legacy. I don't, for what, what's the reason? I just don't get it. Like, yeah. I think you could have still made a killer movie without doing that. But yeah, yeah that's, that's what bothers me. Yeah. But I loved Rocket Man. I loved it. It was good. Yeah. Okay. All right. It is two to one. Jim, you are in the lead and you have yet, <laughs> you have yet to get one wrong. As predicted. Wow. So we have to, uh, you know, Tom, every time we book Jim, we got to book him early. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We'll have to get him later next time. Let's see who he does around so two. Book, book him at 2 a.m. We'll play this around 3.30. <laughs> there you go. See what happens. All right, are you ready? I am. 90s, 2000s. Yeah. For which music icon's 1998 uh, passing did the Empire State Building light up its its top section uh, for three days in blue. In 98? Yeah, in 98. They, they lit up the top. See, the font is so small on this. It lit up the top section in blue for three days of the Empire State Building. Sinatra? That's exactly right. Wow. Yeah. This is remarkable. Man, this is amazing. This man is on fire. <laughs> Unbelievable! He cannot be stopped. Got every single one of them right so far. I'm telling you, we're we're, we're getting back to booking him at one o'clock again. Yeah, I think that's, so. that's it. I did him a favor tonight. We, we can't have this kind of domination. Um, all right, all right. Nineties, two thousands. Yeah. In June of two thousand three, the top two songs were "This Is the Night" and "Flying Without Wings." Name either one of the two overnight artists. Who sang them? See, this is about when I stopped listening to to new music, except for Dave. It was in June. Oh, good lord! Um, <laughs> two thousand three. What are the songs again? Uh, this is the night, and flying without wings. You can name one, either. You know, either one of the two. Uh, I both. If you're feeling two thousand three. Uh, two thousand three. Uh, I. Uh, I, 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 Mariah Carey. Not a terrible guess. Is it J-Lo? It is not. It is Clay Aiken and Ruben Studdard. Oh! <laughs> from American Idol. How All am right. I supposed to know that? I don't know, man. I mean, I'd know those guys from American Idol. Sure. Well, you stopped listening to new music, so that was your downfall. Yeah, except for Dave. Yeah, you were really missing the good stuff there. It sounds like it. Uh wow! All right. So those guys released the the now is Clay Aiken? Isn't he in? Isn't he a politician now? Doesn't he hold Isn't office? He? I didn't know that. Doesn't Clay Aiken hold know. office now? I think he may have ran for office. And then what's Ruben Stutter doing? I don't know. Just hanging out. Is, Having a, is he's best probably Luther Vandross impression. He's yeah. e- he's eating a Reuben is what he's doing. <laughs> Yeah, where where's that YouTube show? Rubens with Ruben. Yeah, you should. I'm serious. That would <laughs> let be. Me, let me call his people. <laughs> call up Ruben Stuttered's people like and Derek. say, I got an idea. Just we're gonna do a YouTube channel where Ruben Stutter just eats Rubens from different parts of the world, but also with celebrities. <laughs> Celebrity Rubens. I got a hunchies available. You think so? <laughs> what, did, is Clay Aiken a politician? Uh. Because I thought he ran for some sort of uh, office of some kind uh, in the world. Politics. Uh, yeah, he did run. He did run for politics. Oh my god! He ran as the Democratic Party's candidate for North Carolina's second congressional district, 
And uh, he won the Democratic Party. He did. Yeah. That's what uh, I but thought. he was defeated. He was defeated by incumbent Republican Congresswoman Renee Elmers. Oh, poor Clay. Not, not a bad loss though. Fifty-nine to forty-one percent. Oh. I figured he'd do wow. worse. Yeah, no kidding. Good old Clay Aiken. Good lord. In North Carolina, as a Democrat, I had no idea that happened. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's that's going uphill. You remember how everybody was rooting for him, and then uh, when Rubin won, everybody was disappointed. Even no, though, even I don't. I do. I remember. I watched. I, I used to watch. I used to watch American Idol back then. My fondest memory of American Idol is the number of times, not recently, but you'll you'll get it when I say the name, that my brother was confused with Taylor Hicks. Oh, okay. <laughs> I can understand. Multiple times when we were out, people would come up to him and ask if he was Taylor Hicks. Yeah. Did he say Soul Patrol? To this day. The name, just the name alone, just makes him irate. You're not a member of the Soul Patrol, Tom. <laughs> Can't say I am. Soul Patrol. Good lord. <laughs> the the greatest moment in American Idol history is pants on the ground. That's the greatest moment in American Idol history. <laughs> that guy was. And William Hung is pretty good too. I enjoy. Yeah, I, I enjoy the the pants on the ground guy much more. Pants on the ground guy is the <laughs> it's the greatest moment in American Idol history. All right, all right. We have to break. We got one more uh, question. For each on uh, uh, for the first round before the end of the first round, Jim's got three. I have one. Wow, Jim, way ahead. <laughs> All right, it's we'll a barn come, burner. Come back and play more. All right. Hey. Hi. Hello. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN, uh, live in the Skyline studio here till 4 o'clock on a Monday morning. And uh, Jim Ryan is with us, music and entertainment uh, reporter for uh, Forbes.com. You can check out Radio Jim Ryan for all of his articles and all the things that we were talking about, interviews and stuff. Uh, Jim, hello. Hello. All right, we have one more question for round one, and then we'll move on to round two. Beatles, right. or, Beatles or Elvis, you ready? Yes. What wealthy entrepreneur owned the DC-9 jet named the Big Bunny that Elvis used for his 74 tour? Wow, I have no idea. What, an entrepreneur, what year, 69? 74. 74. Uh, man, I have no idea. Come the, on. What was it called, the Bunny? What was it called? The Big Bunny. Yeah. Oh, Hefner? Yes. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> okay. You got all of them right on this card. I believe that's the fir- I believe that's the first time ever, Jim. I do believe that's the yeah. first time ever. Yes. You went four for four. I think he's earned one of these. All right, all right, all right. There you go. All right, you're you're up four to one. I'm getting I'm getting I'm getting, I'm getting killed. The moon tower. Getting killed, man. Party yeah, at the I moon tower. <laughs> I don't think you're gonna get this Porsche. Uh, all right, Beatles and Elvis. Yeah. Elvis and Arthur Fielder were planning to record together just prior to Elvis's death. What orchestra did Fielder serve as conductor for for fifty years? Uh, the Boston uh, uh, Boston uh, Orchestra. I, I, I'm going to give it to you, Boston Pops. Boston Pops. It was Boston Pops. <laughs> I don't know about that. Oh, okay. shut up, Jim. <laughs> give the man a chance. All right. <laughs> After the first round, four to two. Four to two. Man, Jim, impressive showing. Yeah, I told you. All right. All right, Jim, are you ready? Sure. We're starting all over again. We're back in the 50s and 60s. (laughs) I 
as long as it's not one of those date cards. Let's go. Fill in this Ralph Harris hit from 57. Tie, yeah. me, ca- tie me kangaroo down blank. Tie me kangaroo down. Tie me kangaroo down. Oh, man. I know it. Spout? Spout? <laughs> I don't know. I don't it, remember. Is it under? Is it down under? It's uh it's it's sport. Sport. Yeah, yeah. you just you were confused by the accent. I was one letter is that, off. Yeah, all right. You, <laughs> you got pops. Were you confused by the accent? Is that the problem? <laughs> Maybe. It might have been. All right. Uh, okay, what are we, what's next? All right, 50s and 60s, Nick. Yeah. Uh, what is the subtitle of the four prep song, 26 Miles? Oh. The subtitle of the four preps song, 26 Miles. Four preps song, 26 Miles. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that's a lot of miles. <laughs> Uh no, Santa Catalina. Santa well, what, Catalina. You couldn't you, if we had a time machine, I still wouldn't be able to. <laughs> I still wouldn't be able to get that one. Yeah, I don't even know who the four preps are. I would. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't have gotten that uh-huh. one. That was tough. That's a tough one. I think I'm getting yeah, tougher. Qu- I think I'm getting tougher questions. Uh, quite frankly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. I think I am. I think that's what's going on this morning. <laughs> Questions are pretty easy for Jim. Spout. Timey kangaroo down spout. <laughs> it's amazing that, that that's amazing that that song was a hit. Timey kangaroo down spout. Timey kangaroo down. How did you know, come on, man. Was there, was there a period of time where people would just buy anything? Yeah. Yes, yes. It was most of the history of recorded music up until about 20 years ago. Because <laughs> <laughs> you go back and you listen to some of the stuff and you're like, "What? Who, how is this a hit? I mean, how, just, did, just, how did people voluntarily go to a store and put money down to, to buy this? It's kind of. I think Christmas singles are pretty much the epitome of that. Christmas singles? Yeah, like, I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. Who's going to buy that? Apparently everybody. I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. Yeah, it's like the most annoying song. Only a hippopotamus will do. Or Dominic the Donkey. No. Uh, or hippopotamuses. Only a... Uh, 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 You're doing great. You're the doing only reason great, I kid. know it, the only reason I know it is because the in Shoot the Moon, which is one of my favorite movies of all time, when Albert Finney is driving his daughters to, to school, they're singing in the car, and they're singing that. And I've seen Shoot the Moon so many times that I now know the lyrics to I Want a Hippopotamus for Christmas. And I have to tell you something, Tom. I honestly didn't know that was a real song. I thought it was just in the movie. <laughs> oh, my God. I, seriously, I thought it was just in the movie. I thought they were just, I was like, yeah. what the hell is no, this? That's real. That's 100% real. And you know what else they sing in his little, this is a little, you remember who directed Shoot the Moon? Yeah, Alan Parker. Okay. You know what else they sing in the car on the way to school as they're driving into school? Mustang Sally. No. Fame. Oh, good Lord. You know who directed Fame? Alan Parker. That's right. There you go. I think that's lovely. Good for him. Great movie. All right. Tom, you ever heard the Joe Pesci version of Dominic the Donkey? Yes, I have. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, just Joe, checking. Joe Pesci's got a version of it? 
That's pretty cool. Uh, under an alias. Under an alias, uh, I think he does it as Vincent LaGuardia Gambini. Oh, yeah, that's right. Is, he, he did have that. But he also had an album called Joey Sings. Oh, wow. I'm not familiar yeah. with that one. Yeah. Okay, 70s and how, 80s. You're how ready? old is that one? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's probably 60s. Okay, well, I'm going to have to look that up. In a Playboy magazine poll, what specific category included Led Zeppelin's John Bonham and Karen Carpenter on its best of list? Come on, <laughs> man. Best, best mustache. <laughs> best drummers. Yeah, that's right. Wow. Come on, seriously. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> sexiest singles. I don't know. Oh, okay. All right. All right, 70s and 80s, Nick. Yeah. Uh, what John Lennon song is subtitled We All Shine On? See, there you go. You got an easy one now. Yeah, that's the song. What's the first title? Um, I, you know what? I'm blanking. You're going you're gonna to forfeit? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, instant karma. Come on, instant oh, karma. Think of the Nike ads. Yeah, instant karma. Of course. All right, boy, I'm getting killed. Bad day at the ballpark. Yeah, it's, I'm getting killed. I'm getting shelled. All right, um, five to two. Are you ready, Jim? Yes. 90s and 2000s. <laughs> what male R&B singer duetted with Celine Dion on The Beauty and the Beast and Regina Bell on A Whole New World, Aladdin's theme? Oh, my God, yes. Did he? Oh! <laughs> this is unreal. This is ridiculous. I almost said Aaron Neville, but I was like, no, it's not Aaron Neville. This is ridiculous. I've never seen anything like it. This is completely ridiculous. I can't <laughs> I can't think of the name of Instant Karma, and then he's pulling out Peebo Bryson out of his nose? <laughs> How'd he get up there? I don't understand this. All right. All right. Uh, hopefully this will be a little bit easier. 90s, 2000s. Give the birth year of Nine Inch Nails Trent Reznor within one. I, I, apparently they don't know. Well, I hate Nine Inch Nails. Um, oh, I hate Nine Inch Nails. I hate them. Only good stuff Trent Reznor has never did involves soundtracks. Uh, and I'm afraid of Americans. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll give them that. Yes, that's awesome. Um, what his birth date? His birth year. His birth year. Take a sh- yeah, within one. So you've got one. You got All a right. goalpost on the other side. Sixty-eight. Just 65. outside. He was born in nineteen sixty-six. He was. I, I would have gotten it. <laughs> yeah. Well, look at look at the big brain on Jim. All right, all right, Jim. <laughs> Here we go. Beatles or uh, yes. Elvi. <laughs> She came in through the bathroom window, was inspired by A, uh, a uh, burglary of Paul McCartney's home by a female fan, B, a fly on the bathroom wall, or C, uh, McCartney being uh, labeled, what is this? Being labeled at the, as if he were home. As if he were no to the boss. Uh, it was a be, be, being held to the label from the boss. What is the last one again? Um, I just actually want to make you reread. Lin, oh, sorry, Linda McCartney being uh, uh, being treated as if she were the boss. Uh, that's not that one. Um, 
Is it B? It's uh, Paul McCartney's house being robbed by a female fan. No, it is, it is actually that. Okay. Yeah. Mm. So it was literal. I knew, that. I knew George Harrison had issues with that, but I didn't know he McCartney got, didn't. He got stabbed, didn't he? Yeah. He did, oh, yeah. Jeez. He did. All right. All right. Beatle- That's amazing to me that a fan would come into the house and then stab somebody. To stab you. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Like, he had mo- he had a couple of those. Like, he became he, a recluse, didn't he? he? Did. Pretty much. He yeah. Okay. All right. Beatles and Elvis. The song Martha, My Dear was an ode to Paul McCartney's A, Sheepdog, B, Mom, or C, Piano Teacher. Dog. Correct, Amundo. Okay. All right. Yeah. Six to three. You killed me. <laughs> yeah. So, Steamy. That was predicted. You better hell. You better uh, just get down to Belmont Harbor right now. <laughs> it's kind of a bittersweet victory. <laughs> you better get down there right do now, a victory man. Victory lap and get your victory uh, lap around Andersonville, and then go pick up my waterlogged Porsche. Get the winch going so that you can get the Porsche out of Belmont Harbor. If you can't say it, then you can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Curtis Armstrong. Oh, I love that guy. So do I. Very cool guy. I got to meet him, and that was a fun night. Oh yeah, I, you, were, I was, you came out. You got come out, and you got your wonderful. book signed. Yeah, yeah. I did. You know, Tom, I screened uh, Revenge of the Nerds with him there. It was awesome. He's, he's booger, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. What do you? What do you? How, how is that even a question? How are you going? He's yeah, booger, right? Let me. I'm, I'm going to say this: people aren't screening that movie a whole lot more anymore. You should watch it, man. No, uh, well, I've watched it. <laughs> and he then, was pretty candid about that too. Yeah, he was. So. Yeah, there's there's a lot in that movie you can't do anymore. No, absolutely. No, yeah, you watch that movie now and you're like, ugh, implied yeah, rape. Yeah, there's some cringy. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the one I was thinking yep. of, yeah. All right, Jim, thanks, buddy. Thank you. Radio Jim Ryan is where you check him out, and uh, he'll be back again next month for more music talk. Okay, uh, the news. What? Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN, live in the Skyline Studio, 18 stories above beautiful downtown Chicago. Here until 4 a.m. Monday morning, that means my dad's going to call in and tell a joke, because it's a jokey, 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 jokey time. Uh, My dad was uh, one of the reasons why I was uh, off uh, during last week. Um, He's been going through some medical stuff. Uh, He's he's good, you know, and he was at, he actually went to Jewel, worked a little while. Um, yesterday, um, but uh, he's got a lot of tests, and he had a bunch of tests and a bunch of uh, visits this past week, and he had to go through a procedure that we were all concerned about. So um, I spent uh, five days hanging out with my folks, keeping an eye on my dad, keeping my mom company, and keeping them company. So I was just uh, hanging out with my folks, and uh, you know, hanging out with my family, and that's why I was off last week. Well, the first two nights I was off was because of the insanity down here in the loop. And Tuesday night, I attempted to get down here, couldn't get in, just couldn't do it. Had no way of knowing where to go or what to do. So, but the other three nights were because uh, I stayed with my folks. My dad had a procedure. I wanted to make sure people knew why I spent time with the, with the family because my dad's got some medical stuff. He's still got to do it next week too. Got some tests. Uh, today he's got to go in and then, uh, they have to schedule like a couple of tests that he has to do and a procedure. He's got to have another procedure this week. So we're going to keep an eye on that. But that's where I was. I was hanging out with my uh, my family. 
312-981-7200 is the phone number. Hey, uh, at 2.30, we got some uh, classic Carson clips. The Johnny Carson Show, you can see it on Antenna TV every night. And uh, we're going to play back like uh, believe, part, the first interview ever with little Emmanuel Lewis from Webster. It's from 1983. Adorable little Webster. So uh, that's coming up. <laughs> if you want to jump in, it's 312-981-7200. Now, um, Tom, where do you stand on the Conjuring movies? Well, I find the subject of Ed and Lorraine Warren, who are the main ostensible main characters of most of these, played by... Uh, Oh my God! Vera, Vera, Vera Farmiga and uh, Paul Patrick Wilson and Patrick Wilson. Right. I find them to be a very interesting pair because they are kind of like the you know uh, incredibly important figures in terms of getting people to believe a little bit more in uh, the occult and the paranormal and these sorts of things. They were kind of their own phenomena in their own time and uh, pretty much solidified by the Amityville horror, which was something that they actually investigated. Um, apparently, uh, if, if legend goes that way, but, uh, I think the movies are fine. They're not really, uh, I think they're good. I like them better than I did when I first saw most of them, like rewatching them at home. I was just like, yeah, these are actually pretty good, but, um, you know, they're not, I don't think they're spectacular, but they're, the subject matter is fascinating. Yeah. I'm not a fan of the Conjuring movies, except for the first one. I thought the first one was pretty good, mainly um, I thought it was. I thought it was. It was well done. There was some, you know, creepy stuff in it. Mm-hmm. But I thought Lily Taylor was unbelievable in it. Yeah, and those movies have made like a bajillion dollars. Oh, no, yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, ridiculous. But yeah, I thought Lily Taylor was was pretty great in the in the original Conjuring. Like really great. Well, they're based on real things. Um, here's the question though, Annabelle. Which is an offshoot of the. It's in the Conjuring universe, as they as they have called it. Annabelle is about the creepy little doll that's cursed, right? Yeah, cursed, possessed. I'm not sure yeah. what the correct terminology is. Um, here's the here's the latest story. You ready? On August 14, 2020, a rumor started to circulate on social media that the so-called Annabelle doll. The supposedly supernatural toy that inspired horror films such as The Conjuring had escaped from an occult museum in Connecticut. <laughs> she escaped? Well, yeah, and that, uh, if you remember, the occult museum is actually the one that the Warrens did. You, it's depicted in the movie. Oh, I don't remember. That, yeah, there's like a room where they have all this. Oh, that, that's trip. where it is? I believe so. Because that room full of all the stuff. Yeah, all that stuff that was in that room is real. But don't you have to, like, in the movie, you know, Annabelle here, we'll get back to the details of the story. But in the movie, don't you have to unlock it? Don't you have to let her out? I, I Allegedly, yes. Because that's what I thought in the movie. Like, what did you do? Did you take the the key? Isn't there like yeah, a... Yeah, they, 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 they have her locked in this glass case. Glass case, right. And it's like blessed by a priest. Right. And, uh, I, I, but she can't get out. He, she has to be let out. I think so. That's what they say. Or at least in the movie. In the movie. When it comes to real life cursed dolls, I feel like anything's possible. See, for me, doll in glass case equals May. It doesn't, it, 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 it just not, it does not get topped. 
Yeah, you've seen May. Yeah. Angela Bettis. Yes. One of the best female horror performances in the history of cinema. And by the way, she's cool as hell, Angela Bettis. So the terms Annabelle and War Museum both started to trend on Twitter as social media users posted messages about the de- demonic doll that purportedly was on the loose, like Saga. Um, <laughs> speaking of dolls that are on the loose, when was the last time you watched Trilogy of Terror? Way too freaking, way too recently. <laughs> way too recently. You can skip the first two. I like them. I like the one where it's like the 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 student who's like trying to sleep with his teacher, right? I guess I don't remember the first two. Yeah, and she ends up like killing him or something. I don't remember. All I, I know, know. the third's the best one. Well, it's the little the little crazy doll that Karen Karen Black cuts her up and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, it's no uh, come back to the five and dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean. I remember but it's pretty good. I remember when I first saw Trilogy because I'm old enough to have seen Trilogy Terror first run when it first showed on ABC. And I thought it was the cool. I thought it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen in my life. And people are freaked out by it. Sometimes I post that as my picture on my Facebook page. You know, I put the little demon doll from from Trilogy of Terror as my like avatar on my Facebook page, and people are like, "Dude, why are you doing this?" And I'm not going to be able to sleep. People were freaked out by that. I just thought it was cool. I was freaked out by the final shot. Of Karen Black, like, crouched, waiting for her mom to show up with the knife, and then she smiles, and she's got those teeth. That's just, I think that's the creepiest part of the entire movie. So, all right, anyway, a doll escaped. We're all dead. <laughs> and then we're going to talk about allegedly cursed objects. If you know of any, any objects that are sort of these legendary objects that have, had, that have been cursed, and uh, uh, maybe there's some real scary stories surrounding certain objects in the world. Deadly Cursed Objects. 312-981-7200. We'd love to hear from you. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN, live uh, in the Skyline studio here till 4 o'clock on a Monday. Uh, my dad's going to call in and tell a joke a little bit later on. We're going to go visit some classic Johnny Carson, as we always play some classic Johnny Carson comedy clips. Interview with Emmanuel Lewis coming up in just a few minutes. 312-981-7200 if you're uh, familiar with some uh, legendary sort of cursed objects, sort of weird stories behind them. Annabelle might have escaped from the Warren Museum. Annabelle and Warren Museum started to trend on social media, and users posted messages about the uh, demonic doll that purportedly was on the loose. But these fears, however, were not, were for naught, as the Annabelle doll did not actually escape from the Warren Museum because it is, after all, an inanimate object. Hey, man, you're an inanimate object. <laughs> 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 that's from one of the greatest movies ever in Bruges how good is Ray Fiennes in that movie how good is everybody in that movie <laughs> you're an inanimate object 
for those unfamiliar, the Warren's Occult Museum was a real place and housed some of the artifacts collected by paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren. The duo are perhaps most famous for investigating a haunted house in New York in 1975. That investigation inspired the book The Amityville Horror and several films of the same name. How many Amityville movies were there? Oh, my God. There's actually like seven. Because I remember the original was James Brolin and Margot Kidder. Rod Steiger was the priest. Get out. I read that book when I was a kid. It was scary as hell. Well, it was a huge hit, that book. It was a very yeah. big... Uh, and J- I remember... Jay Anson wrote Jay Anson, that. yeah. I remember going to see the original movie at the Lincoln Village Theater, which no longer exists, and the line, I can't even tell you how long the line was. The line was wrapped around the place. So All you got right. Amityville, and then you got Amityville 2, which was... The Possession. The Possession, which was... Uh, that's sort of like the prequel, where the guy gets possessed and gets a shotgun and just starts blowing people away. Burt Young is in that one. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to remember. I think, I think Diane Franklin played the uh, played the 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 sister, the 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 kid's sister. Yeah, she's in it. James yeah. Olsen, Burt Young. Uh, James Olsen was the priest. Then it was I mean, Andyville 3D, mm-hmm. which of course was in 3D. Naturally, I don't remember anything about it except that it sucked. What was Amityville for? Was there, well, I'm going to I'm going to tell you this right now. I think you're going to be fully shocked by how many Amityville like now this is any movie that has now, was, to do with it was, the Amityville it was form. remade in the early 2000s with Ryan Reynolds yeah 2005 and I can't remember who the female who played his wife but I know Chloe Grace Moretz uh, Melissa George Chloe Chloe Grace Moretz was in that a little Chloe Grace Moretz mm-hmm. and Philip Baker Hall Philip Baker Hall all right. Well, so you got I'm Amityville. Gonna, you got Amityville Two: The Possession. You got Amityville 3D. I'm going to run this down quickly right. for you. Amityville Four: The Evil Escapes. The Amityville Curse. Amityville. It's about time. Amityville: A New Generation. Amityville Dollhouse. Amityville Horror Remake. Amityville Haunting. Amityville Asylum. Amityville Death House. Amityville Playhouse. The Conjuring Two technically uh, falls under that. Amityville, No Escape, Amityville, Vanishing Point, Amityville, Legacy, Amityville, Terror, Amityville, Prison, Amityville, The Awakening, and uh, the Amityville Murders, and the yet unreleased, the Amityville Harvest in 2020. <laughs> so talk about milking a concept. Well, I think they've I beaten mean, that horse back to life. I, I, my guess is that since four, they've all gone straight to video, except for the remake. Uh, I would, I would, I'd say that you're guessing correct. Yeah. But yeah, basically, uh, forty straight years of nonstop Amityville. Ridiculous. Um, but the book, the book, I, I thought the book was scary. I remember reading the book; it was scary. The pair also investigated reports about a Raggedy Ann doll that was supposedly possessed by a young girl named Annabelle Higgins. This doll, which was later put on display at the museum, also inspired a number of horror. Oh, so it's a Raggedy Ann doll in real life. So it doesn't look like the the creepy doll, the Annabelle doll in the movie. Um, the Warren's Occult Museum is no longer in operation. Both Ed and Lorraine Lauren have passed away, and according to Atlas Obscura, the museum was closed in 2018. The Monroe Sun reported that the Warren's son-in-law, Tony Spira, was looking for a new home for the museum. It was reportedly closed due to zoning issues, but the paranormal property has yet to reopen. The status of the museum 
is a bit of a moot point, however, as this rumor did not start with any sort of police reports, ghoulish videos, spiritual sightings, or a frantic phone call from Spira uh, to be on the lookout for the demonic doll. This rumor appears to have been originated with mistranslation. See, this is why you have to believe everything on the Internet. Everything. If it's on the Internet, truth. If that's the one thing I've learned about the Internet, it's to trust everything that you read on it, especially the first time you look. The rumor started circulating shortly after The Hollywood Reporter published an interview with Annabelle Wallace, the actress who played Mia in the Annabelle movie. So wait a minute. So Mia, is she the girl, little girl who owns the doll? Uh, Maybe. I don't know. It's interesting that the real actress's name is Annabelle. It's probably why she was cast. Kind of like how... uh... Liam Neeson was cast as Oscar Schindler for his affinity for making lists. <laughs> Which, by the way, that scene is one of the funniest things in the history of funny. Like, ever. Yeah, not Schindler's List, though. No, no, no. The, the, I'm talking about, this is from Ricky Gervais. It's yeah. from, it's Life is Short. Just to give people context. Life here. is Short, Warwick Davis, you know, um, and Ricky Gervais plays himself, Warwick Davis plays himself. Gervais and... Uh, Stephen Merchant created it, and there's a scene where Liam Neeson shows up at Ricky Gervais's office because he wants to do comedy. And if you've not seen this, Google it, watch it, and I guarantee you it'll be one of the hardest times that you've laughed in your entire life. So, like, just Google Liam Neeson, life is short. <laughs> I'm sorry, we're closed. Let's do some improvisational comedy. I'm riddled with it. (laughs) Liam Neeson is just a genius in that. Oh. Let's see. So the actress who played uh, Mia talked about her new film, The Silencing. What the hell is that? The Silencing? I don't know. Doesn't that sound like a made-up... Like yeah, a made-up sounds... movie and, like, like some made-up credit and some satire? <laughs> the silencing. From the masters of the macabre. As well as what it was like to work with Tom Cruise in The Mummy. Oh, yeah. Must be real proud of that work. God, that was a terrible movie. Um, It killed the whole idea of relaunching the uh, Universal Monster Universe. Just right away, it was like, no, we're not doing any more of these. Wallace also talked about running in her interview, and The Hollywood Reporter included a video of some of the escape scenes from The Mummy. As this news circulated on Chinese-language social media sites, the news about Wallace running appears to have been misconstrued as Annabelle the doll escaping. Oh, I see. So it was, it was, yeah. So. Why would anybody include escape scenes from the mummy? Who wants to see escape scenes from the mummy? And I'm the biggest Tom Cruise fan in the world, and I don't even want to see that. Do they have a, a, a do they have, did, have they announced a date for the, for the Top Gun? For the sequel there, The Maverick? Uh, no, I don't think so. Not it was yet. supposed to come out, I think it was supposed to come out in May, wasn't it? 
It's supposed to come out this year sometime. Yeah. Um, they, you know, they they keep insisting that they're going to release the new mutants. Have you have you seen now the the commercials that they're doing? Got a theater date on it, August twenty eighth. It's not coming out. <laughs> it's just not because the, you know you know the the teens in that movie right now they're forty three years old. I don't know if you know that yeah. or not. <laughs> they were teenagers when they made the movie. They're now forty three. Yeah. Uh, Top Gun Maverick is supposed to come out in December. Yeah, that makes sense. The Christmas movie. Yeah. <laughs> December twenty third. Like, people are people are actually excited about that movie. I don't quite understand it, but people are excited about it. Because you don't like Top Gun. No, I don't like Top Gun. One of the few Tom Cruise movies that and I hate Cocktail. Cocktail is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. You like Cocktail? Are you out love, of your mind? I love Cocktail. Are you out of your mind? No, I just really like Cocktail. <laughs> How do you it's him and that one it's like the greatest rivalry ever. Yeah, Australian Brian uh the hell's his name? I don't know what Australian Brian something. I just know he's uh he's a bartender who shows this kid the ropes and then Yeah. You know, pulls the wool out. He's actually know, a good actor. I can't remember his name though. Brian uh Brian uh, Noonan. <laughs> Brian Kowalaman. Brian uh Cranston? No, it's not Brian Cranston. I can't remember his name. Cocktail. Get on me about cocktail. It's, it's a fun. terrible movie. If I remember yeah. correctly, Roger Donaldson directed Brian that Brown. Movie. Brian Brown. That's it. Yeah, it was Roger Donaldson. What the hell? What he he lost a shoe. Is in clearly it? lost a bet. Kelly Lynch, Gina Gershon. God. All star cast. Terrible movie. You know what else is in that movie? You can you can you. Here's another reason why you should hate it. Kokomo is in that movie. Do you not like the song Kokomo? I can't stand that song. All right, jeez. Okay, I hate I hate <laughs> Mike Love so much. I hate him, and and I'm pretty sure that you know if Brian Wilson saw Cocktail and heard that song, he went, "I'm going to jump out of a window right now." For God's sake, John Stamos toured with the band on drums during that time period, and he still called it the Beach Boys. The nerve, Mike Love had the he nerve. Should have called it Jesse and the Rippers. God. The, he should have just called it the Love Hut or something. Just name it after the Love Hut. Mike Love. <laughs> it's not the yeah, Beach Boys. You think that's what he calls like his house? Yeah, the Love Hut. Yeah, Mike come on Love. over to the Love Hut. We'll record a new version of Kokomo. Ah, I like Kokomo. Wow. So it, Annabelle is cursed. One of the many cursed objects. So we're going to talk about some allegedly cursed objects and the stories behind them. Scary. Ooh, scary. Ooh, creepy. So if you want to jump in, if you know uh, any sort of legends behind some objects, some scary little stories, little backstories on things, 312-981-7200. All right, we'll take a break. When we come back, classic comedy from Carson. Johnny Carson, you can watch it. Uh, you can watch those great shows every night on Antenna TV. And uh, every uh, weekday morning at 2.30, we play back some great stuff from the old Johnny Carson shows. Interviews and clips and comedy and stand-up and uh, sketches. Well, we're going to run an interview with Emmanuel Lewis, the adorable little Webster. <laughs> Johnny really loves, he, Johnny really likes this kid. And he's what? What is he, about eight inches tall, right? Oh, yeah, he's real short. Little teeny guy. Mm-hmm. Little Webster. All right. That's coming up after this on WGN. Down in Coca, Aruba, Jamaica, ooh, 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 ooh. 
Does it make you feel tropical? No. Makes me feel nauseous. Uh, hey, by the way, I'm looking at the, I'm clicking onto the old IMDb or uh, onto Facebook and IMDb posted a page. Mm. You know what movie was released 30 years ago today? Mm. 30 years ago today, August 17th. 30 years. So that'd be 1990? Yep. Total Recall. Good guess. Is it Paul Verhoeven? No. Oh, okay. But that's the same year that Total Recall came out. Right, yeah. Wild at Heart came out on oh, this date in 1990. I like this leather jacket because it it's represents a, my belief in personal freedom yep. and a sense of identity. You've been puking, little girl? <laughs> this room has a smell of puke. You've been puking, little girl? Willem Dafoe. <laughs> My God, I love that movie. The strange, probably the strangest movie to ever win the Palme d'Or. Yeah, oh, it's a great movie. It's insane, it is a great movie. I just the the leather jacket speech gets me every time. Yeah, it represents my belief in personal freedom. Yeah, <laughs> it's a and man, Laura Dern is sexy as hell in that movie. Good God! But yeah, Harry Dean Stanton. Come on, man! Such a great movie. All right. Anyway, 30 years old. So, yeah, I'm 90. <laughs> All right. Uh, good morning. It's Nick DeGilio on 720 WGN. We're here till 4 o'clock. We're going to talk about cursed objects. And if you know of any sort of objects or places that have legendary, scary stuff behind it, we like to get spooky in the middle of the night. So we're going to talk about cursed objects. And if you know of any sort of weird, scary legends behind places or things, 312-981-7200. We'd love to hear from you. Every morning at around this time, the 2.30-ish, we like to uh, go back in time to the Johnny Carson Show. Again, you can watch the Johnny Carson Show every night on Antenna TV, and we like to play back some clips, sketches, stand-up comedy, interviews. Well, right now, from 1983, we're going to go back and hear an interview with uh, Emmanuel Lewis during the very first season of Webster, and uh, he's charming the pants off of Johnny Carson. Here's Emmanuel Lewis. Hello, Emmanuel. <laughs> How are you? Fine, thank you. We've never met before until right this moment. That's right. Yeah, it's a pleasure to meet you. Thank you. Yeah. And me too. Me too, huh? Thank you, Emmanuel. You, you were, uh, you surprised me. I. For some reason, I thought you were going to be taller. Me too. Me too. <laughs> you, do you get tired of people saying that you're you're short? No. No. You mind telling us how old you are? Twelve. You're twelve. You've done a, how many commercials have you done altogether? I'm not sure. Not sure. You quit counting, huh? Yes. Are you are you, are you putting your money away and yes. in a bank account? Yeah. What do you think you'll do with all your money someday? What would you like to do? What would you like to buy if you could buy anything in the world? Mm, I'm not sure. Not sure yet, huh? I'll just spend it safely. Just put it away safely. Yes. That's a good idea, yeah. <laughs> Didn't you do a commercial with uh, Bill Cosby for uh, Jell-O Pudding, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. 
Now, what, what other commercials have you done? I've done Campbell Soup, Life Cereal, uh-huh. Maxwell House Coffee, Elmer's Glue, <laughs> French's Mustard, yeah. Apple Juice. Yeah. Now, do you, do you use all those products? Most of them. Most of them. <laughs> I won't ask you which ones you, you don't. I don't suppose you drink too much coffee, do you? No. Yeah, okay. What, what grade are you in the school? Six. You're sixth grade? Yeah. What's your favorite subject? Well, I like science. Good for you. Good for you. Reading, math. Yeah. What are you studying in science right now that's, that's interesting? Well, how to connect batteries, dry cells together. Dry cells and batteries? Yes. Yeah. You like math, too? Yes. Yeah, well, they teach math, I think, a little bit differently now, don't they, than at least when I was a kid. They're in a different system. Can you, do you know how they, how they teach it now? Is it decimal system or something? It's, yeah, decimal system. How does that work? Can you explain it? What, what would be a kind of a problem you would have? I don't have too much problems. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, somebody... Somebody told me you made a trip to Japan? Yes. What did you go to Japan for? Well, I've done a commercial. Oh, for Japanese television? Yes. Ah. Did you like Japan? Oh, yes. Yeah. What, what, did, you, what did you find most interesting about Japan? Well, most of them were short like me. Most of them short. Had, had you read anything about Japan in school? Did you know anything about it before you went there? Well, all I know is that they speak Japanese. Speak Japanese? <laughs> and, um, let me see. Did you go to Tokyo? Yes. That's a big city, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. How long were you in Japan? That, that depends on what time I went there. Well, oh, you've been there more than once? Yes. You have, yeah. I've never been to Japan myself. And you've been there more than more than once? Yes. Yeah, where else have you traveled? Traveled to LA. <laughs> In Los Angeles. Um, we have a little piece of uh Japan. Is this the film you, a commercial you made in Japan, I guess we're gonna show, right? Yes. What, what what were you selling there? Well, baby store noodles. Baby store noodles? Yes. Okay. All right, here's Emmanuel's commercial for Japan. Did you uh, did you learn to speak any Japanese at all? Yes. You did. What can you what can you say in Japanese? Uh. Can you say something in Japanese? Or? Yes. Um. You think? Uh. Book my baby store. All I learned from Shogun was konnichiwa. <laughs> I think that means how are you or good morning or something like that. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, yes. Yeah. And sayonara. Sayonara. Of course, that means, I guess, goodbye. <laughs> yeah. What? Uh, you seem to be missing a fair amount of teeth there. Uh, <laughs> up, on the, on, up on the top row. Yes. Yeah. Did it just naturally come out or... Uh, a little help from mom. <laughs> a little help from mom. Now, you don't mean by saying that that your mom... Yes, I do. <laughs> mom will certainly be happy to hear that tonight on television. Uh, mom, uh, we have to talk to this later. Yeah, we have to talk to mom later. <laughs> I remember when I was a kid, I'd take the, uh, you put them under your pillow for the tooth fairy. Right. Did you do that? Yes. And what was there in the morning? Sheet. A sheet? Yeah, well, I know. Well, usually there'd be a, maybe a dime or something like that. Didn't a tooth fairy leave anything at all? No, didn't, huh? No. That's probably because you've got so many commercials going, you didn't need it anyway. You have a, you have a girlfriend? Let's just put it this way, I have girls that are friends. That is, that is well put, very diplomatic. You have girls, girls who are friends. Right. The girls can be very nice friends, can't they? Yes. Do you, uh, you go to the movies together? or? No. You don't? Just talk and... Stuff like that? Yes. Dance maybe a little bit? No. No dancing. Huh? No hugging her? No. No kissing? No. You mean to tell me... Only from mom. Only from mom? Yes. Oh, I think awesome. I have to kiss her after, so I won't get in trouble. <laughs> yeah. I think a kiss would be in order when you get home, yeah. Do you, um, do you like to go to amusement parks, stuff like that? Yes. Yeah. What do you like to ride on? Well, my uncle put me in a cup, like in Disneyland. Oh, yeah, those, uh... Yes. Cups that spin around? Yes, and I thought I had some bacaca. You what? Some bacaca. <laughs> you did a little caca in the cup? It sounds like it was even pre-Webster, because they don't even mention Webster, so it was just like this kid from the commercials. Yeah. Maybe, you know, somebody on Johnny's staff saw him and said, we got to get this kid on the air and have Johnny go nuts with him. Mm-hmm. He's got he's got some good stuff with, like, uh, young Raven Simone from when she was on the Cosby sure. Show. Sure. He he certainly seemed to have a, an affinity for children. He really thought that they were yeah. something, something you know, you, you know you, Okay, you know who Rick Schroeder is, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. He was in Growing Pains, wasn't he, at one point? Silver Spoons. Silver Spoons, yeah, Rick Schroeder. Okay. Um, uh, and he was, you know, uh, one of the best-known roles. Well, you know, he's you know, he's moved on now. He was on NYPD Blue. You know you're, you know you're, you've, you've become an adult when you're not called Ricky anymore and you're called Rick. Because I stopped being Nicky when I was about 12. Except I still have a couple of cousins who still call me Nicky. Even though I'm 55 years old, I can't stand Nikki. Can't stand it. Anyway, um, if you go back and look at like Ricky Schroeder was on that was on the Tonight Show a bunch of times when he was a kid, like pre Silver Spoons, 
and uh, he was just annoying as hell. He was one of those annoying, like, Hollywood kids. But Johnny had him on all the time, and he would go out of his way to try and be, like, charming little Hollywood kid. And I always found him to be, like, he would just, like, it was like nails on a chalkboard when I, when I, but there's, I'm sure you can find a ton of, a ton of Ricky Schroeder interviews. Watch them and see if you, if, how long it takes you before you put your foot through the screen. So, all right, Emmanuel Lewis from 1983. That was funny. Just something nice. Yeah. Little kid just having little a nice. good time. Little kid. I like Ed. Ha, 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 ha. Hi-oh. Hi-oh. Yes, sir. That's Phil Hartman's. That's that's his imitation. Yeah. <laughs> you got Dana Carvey as Johnny and Phil Hartman as, uh, as Ed McMahon. Classic. Do you ever do you do you remember the sketch Carcinio? Because Arsenio was like really popular and like taking numbers away from uh, Johnny Carson, so SNL did this bit called uh, 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 Carcinio, and so they took elements of Arsenio's. He came out and um, Dana Carvey is Johnny, Johnny Carson. He had a high top fade, and he had finger extensions. <laughs> I think I also think that uh, that Ed I, I also think that Phil Hartman had a top fade too. I think he had a fade haircut too. It was like Carcinio. <laughs> uh, that was back when Arsenio was a real threat, man. He was bringing a younger audience, a more urban audience to late night. It's a big deal, Arsenio's show. Johnny Carson's camp was like, uh, what? So, all right. We'll hear more Johnny Carson highlights. We do it every weekday morning at 2.30. We'll do it again tomorrow. After midnight, we're going to let it all hang down. Hi, it's Nick DeGiulio on 720 WGN. Live in the Skyline Studio, 18 stories above beautiful downtown Chicago. Here till 4 o'clock as we are every weekday morning. It's Monday morning. That means my dad's going to call in and tell a joke. Uh, he's doing he's doing pretty good. He's doing pretty good. Had some uh, health issues. Still has some health issues. Had to do some medical stuff the past uh, week, so I stayed over at my parents' house. Took a few nights off of work. Um, as I, I want to keep an eye on my family, man. And uh, my dad had a medical procedure this past week. He's got another one coming up next week. So we're going to keep an eye on him. But he's good. He, he worked at Jewel yesterday. He's nuts. And he's going to call in and tell a joke a little bit later on. We're also going to talk about some unbelievable weather records. Right now we're going to jump into the world of cursed objects. So if you know of any scary legends behind things, 312-981-7200. The news is next from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom. All right. Now you you were looking at this uh, you were looking at this article. Were any of these? Did you knew Did you know about any of these? I knew about a few of them. There were a few that uh, specifically jumped out at me that I thought, yeah, we'll we'll remember these. Uh, like the hope, like the hope diamond. This is the one. first one, the hope diamond. Yeah, a lot of people know about the hope diamond. Yeah. kind of sorted past. Yeah, believed to have uh, come to the surface one point one billion years ago. This gem is estimated to be worth. million. It has traveled the world, but now resides in the Smithsonian Natural History Museum. Some believe it is cursed. You know, we missed it uh, because we went when when we went to the Smithsonian. We went right to Archie Bunker's chair. 
And the the hope diamond of television, some say. Right to Archie Bunker's chair. Fonzie's jacket was there. It was awesome. Then we left. And you just skipped the hope diamond. Nothing else to see in the Smithsonian. <sighs> what else is there to see in the Smithsonian? Once you see Archie Bunker's chair, you may as well just go. Well just not even not even the ruby slippers i remember no we did obviously you know you can't i mean smithsonian is an amazing place so we obviously but it, it, but the first thing we did i'm not kidding first thing we did was we we asked the information booth like where the hell is archie bunker's chair and that was the first place we went when we went in the smithsonian and then his his uh fonzie's jacket was there there were a couple of other items there too but that was the first thing we saw uh, some say that the Hope Diamond is cursed, the whole mythology claiming that a great misfortune and misery will befall, befall anyone who dares to wear the 45.52 carat diamond. Rumored victims of the diamond have suffered disgrace, divorce, suicide, imprisonment, torture, financial ruin, lynching, or decapitation. One was even said to have been ripped apart by dogs, another by a French mob. However, skeptics say this curse was a ploy to enhance the Hope Diamond's mystique and value. Mm. Yes. Yeah, the Hope Diamond, that's a big one. That's a big one. That's one of those, that's, that, there's all the legend stuff behind the Hope Diamond. So, but man, ripped apart by dogs. Jeez. That's specific. Uh, here's Trucker Rich. Go ahead, Rich. Hey Nick, how you doing tonight? Right. Welcome back. Thank you. And hope your dad gets hope your dad gets a whole lot better soon and can go out and run marathons. I appreciate that. <laughs> I appreciate that, yeah. Rich. Yeah, no, I just wanted to spend time with him, man, and with my folks. Yep. Yeah, that's why I took the nights oh, off. That's, so. that's cool. Yeah. Uh, there's a program I've watched off and on called Ozzy and Jack's World Detour oh, yeah. with Ozzy and his yeah, son. Absolutely. Did and, you see the one by the way, Rich, did you see the one where they where they went to the Alamo? Yeah. <laughs> yep, that was on this week. You shouldn't have peed on it, Dad. <laughs> no, no. And he was in his mugshot was in a St. Louis Blues. Exactly. You're exa- that's exactly right, Rich. Yeah. Yep. Did you know yeah, that? He Tom? should have been in jail for that. Ozzy, Ozzy's he had a St. Louis Blues uh, hockey jersey on when he got arrested after peeing on the Alamo. Typical St. Louis yep. Blues fans peeing on yeah. American landmarks. Yeah. Well, he was drunk. That's why yeah. he was wearing that thing. He, he didn't know yeah. any better. He didn't know any better. He was loaded, so he put on a he put on a blues jersey. <laughs> he wasn't arrested for being on the Alamo. He was arrested for wearing the blues <laughs> jersey. The blues jersey. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Rich. But, what else you got? In, in, in one of the episodes, I don't know the whole, the whole story behind it, but they were in uh, New Orleans, and Jack went to this museum, and they had this haunted doll called Robbie the Sailor. Yes. I, yes, I didn't and, see the episode, but I know I've been to, I've been to New Orleans twice, and I'm and, and, yeah. And you know about the the doll or whatever. No, it go is. ahead, explain it to everybody. And, well, I don't exactly know, but they say it's cursed. And Jack bought this uh, little replica of it and put it in their in their motorhome. And within a couple days, the motorhome blew up. They had to buy a new one, and it totally freaked Ozzy out. And he spent. <laughs> like five or six more episodes just trying to get rid of this doll. <laughs> you know? And and they went to uh, somewhere, I think, down in Kentucky or Tennessee, somewhere near where they have this uh, uh, school for explosives. Yeah. Like where they teach people how to handle explosives. You right, know? right. And, and, Ozzie, and Ozzie was sneaking out onto the range trying to put this 
Robbie doll in there so he could blow it up. Yeah. That's and hilarious. Got it, and he finally got it blown up. And then when they, uh, the final episode of that season, he took the remains of it and buried it on a beach in Hawaii. <laughs> That's hilarious. But, that is hilarious. Yeah, just, to, just to see Ozzy being freaked out is just It's just classic. Great, it's great. You know? Yeah. All right, Rich. Yep. Thanks, buddy. All right, yep. All right. Real quick, here's Ike. Go ahead, Ike. Hey, Nick. How's it going with you, man? Good. Yeah, I heard. Uh, uh, speaking of urban, uh, speaking of uh, cursed artifact, this is also an urban legend. Do you remember that movie, The Ghost in the Darkness? Yes, I do. Yeah, I heard uh, that was based off a true story about these supernatural lions. They said they were supernatural. I heard they were at they were they, they when they were killed. They were stuffed in the museum. When you go to the museum, if you look into their eyes, like they'll hypnotize you like they did in the movie. That's like an urban legend. I'm not really sure if it's true. Wow. Wow. Okay, I didn't know that. All right, thanks, Ike. No problem. Saw the movie. Not very good. I don't know. Is it not? I don't think Hulu. I I can't remember who the hell was in it. It Was was it Michael Douglas? Val Kilmer and uh, Michael Douglas. Right. And it's based on the the book, The uh, The Man-Eaters of Savo. Yeah, Those I remember. Lines. I remember. Not, I mean, I've only seen it one time. I remember not liking it very much. Yeah, it's nowhere near secondhand lions, but you know. Yeah, you know what's a great movie? That's kind of like you know you're you're out there and you're in the wilderness and everything. Mm. Alec Baldwin, Anthony Hopkins, The Edge. You ever see that movie? I have not. Mamet wrote it. Uh, the guy who the guy who directed we were we were warriors mm-hmm. directed it. We were soldiers. No, we were, we were warriors. warriors. It's a it's a, a film from New Zealand about a Maori tribe. Oh, Lee Temahori. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He directed one of the Bond movies, too. Yeah, Die Another Day. I know. <laughs> but anyway, The the Edge is a great movie, but it's not a it's a bear, not a, uh, you know. All right. Uh, allegedly Cursed Objects, 312-981-7200. We'll get right back to it after the news. As I've said before, it wouldn't be quite as poetic if it was these peepers. <laughs> I don't think the song would work out quite as well. These peepers. Burton Cummings, man. Canadian. Really? Yeah, the guess who? They're Canadian, even though they made American Woman. Nah. I'm pretty sure they're Canadian. I think they're Canadian. Only only Canadians would tell you to stay away from American women. Yeah, well, that was a Vietnam parable. Oh, yeah. That's no, not, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, it's Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. We're in the Skyline studio. I think they're Canadian. We're discussing the merits of the guess who. It's interesting because, like, American, you know, there's a, a lot of really, because that's a, you know, American American woman is a very political song. Uh, uh, you know, critical of America. And I believe, can you look them up and see if the, the, the guests who are indeed Canadian? Yep, Winnipeg. Um, and then, who you know who else is like a, a major protest songwriter? Oh, Neil Young. Canadian. Yeah. <laughs> What's the deal with these Canadians, man? <laughs> who put a stick up their butt? 
<laughs> They're just mad because it's cold. Yeah. You don't see Rush getting all political. Unless you, what? You, uh, unless, you're, unless, you're, unless you're talking about the politics of a bunch of trees. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, that was not an allegory. It's literally about the yeah. politics. There is unrest in the forest. There is trouble with the trees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Rush rules. A yeah, very good band. So, um, Curses, man. Putting a curse on stuff. There are a lot of stories about that, right? How about the monkey paw, the monkey's paw, right? Well, that's a that's like a classic tale because it's always you get your wish, but it's never exactly what you wanted, right? What's the because because the the original story, right? The monkey's paw. Who wrote that? I'm always I'm a, oh god, I want to say that was O. Henry. No, W.W. Uh, w. Jacobs. W.W. W. Jacobs. It reminds me of an O. Henry because O. Henry used to write tales that would have some sort of twist at the end, like right. uh, the Gift of the Magi. Right. Oh. Yeah, it's like a sad Christmas story. I know, I love that. You know what's you know what's the gift of the Magi, by the way. The this is I know this sounds weird, but the honeymooners Christmas episode is based on it. Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think a lot funny. of I think a lot of Christmas TV shows are oh, special, absolutely, totally based on it's, that because that's the lesson that you learn is that like it, it, well it's it's sad but it's also funny in yeah. the sense that like doesn't is why he 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 gets rid of something so that he could get her a comb. Or something. No, or, he gets her. He he. What he does is he gets her like this little hairpin holder, yeah. made of toothpicks, and he's like he thinks it's one of a kind. And then the upstairs neighbor on a lark just comes down and says, "Oh, here, Alice, I got you this for Christmas." And it was that. It was the the toothpick holder, or it was the uh, the hairpin holder. Yeah. And she's like, "Oh, it's just nothing. I just saw it in the shop and I bought it for you. It's no big deal." And then Ralph thinks it's like the greatest thing ever. Yeah, and in the original story, uh, the wife sold her hair to buy her husband a present, and he got her a set of combs, which is useless well, now that her hair is short. Now you know what the, you know what happens in the honeymooners. Ralph hocks his bowling ball for something really nice for her. She buys him a bowling ball bag. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just cla- classic comedic irony, right? And you know, there's a little curse there. Yeah, but the monkey paw. There was another. You've seen the movie Tales from the Crypt, right? From the seventies, right? The yeah. original one, Peter Cushing. There is that one where the guy has the three wishes. It's based on the monkey paw. I can't remember what it, what exactly he's wishing on. What the object is. Um, but like at one point he wishes he wants to live forever or something. So after he dies, he comes back to life, but he's been embalmed. <laughs> yeah. So they try to chop him up, and like his all his body parts keep moving. Thought that was the crib right. was like a monkey paw thing. Yeah, and th- like this is uh, from the original story. A guy uh, wh- he gets this mummified monkey paw. Right. He wishes for two hundred. Uh, he wishes for two hundred pounds, which in twenty twenty would be like twenty four thousand dollars, which is for like twenty grand. Right. And uh, it'll en- enable him to make like the final mortgage payment on his house. So he wishes for it. The monkey paw, you know, the finger curls. Right, 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 right. Because that's one curse or one yeah, wish, one wish. Right. There, yeah. There's a fire, and then his son dies in a in a, like a factory fire, and the payment to the bereaved is twenty thousand dollars. <laughs> so that's the curse: is that you get what you want, but it intervenes with fate. It comes along with something bad. Yeah, there's always a high, high price. The curse of the monkey paw. That's pretty legendary. Yeah. There's or, a lot of cursed uh, object stories out there. Yeah. Or like the the 
the button. The button. Yeah, the short story, the button. Where if you push the button, one person oh, that you don't, right, 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 one right, right. person you don't know will die, but you get like a million dollars. Well, you, did you see the? Did you see the box? No, it's a great movie. It's a great movie, man. It's Richard Kelly. It's great. One of Cameron Diaz's best performances ever. Yeah. Uh, Frank Langella, Half a Face, and it's basically that's it's that story. It's basically that story. I like, believe the I believe the story is even called Button Button. So the movie, the box. Um, which I, I, I remember when I went to go see it, cause you know, the, the guy who directed it directed Donnie Darko and Southland Tales, not the most accessible movies, especially Southland Tales. So this was his follow-up. So it was a big Hollywood movie. Is it what, which, who was the J, uh, Scott Marsden? What's his name? James Marsden. James Marsden, uh, Cameron Diaz and, uh, Frank Langella. And I was like, okay, well, he's making a commercial movie. Good. Good for him. So he'll, he, you know, he'll he'll make this straightforward, accessible commercial movie, and then he'll be able to do what he wants. And of course, it completely bombed because about twenty minutes into it, it turns into a Richard Kelly movie. Like I was like, how did the studio let him get away with this? But it has that same premise. Frank Langella brings a box over. You make a wish, but there's consequences to that wish. So there's a curse there. So, yeah, no, it's uh, originally written by Richard Matheson. Yeah, for Playboy. Believe it or not. Yeah. But yeah, cursed objects. You got to be careful. Got to be careful of cursed objects. 312-981-7200 if you uh if you know any uh, legendary stories, curses and things like that. We've got some more here to talk about. 312-981-7200. So far we've covered the in this article here that we're reading, The Hope Diamond. Where someone got ripped apart by dogs because of the Hope Diamond. Cursed. 312-981-7200. All right. Hello, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. We're live in the Skyline studio, 18 stories above view, uh, beautiful downtown Chicago. Um, I, I was off for uh, um, uh, pretty much last week. First two days were because of uh, the, the insanity that was happening uh, in downtown Chicago. And then uh, the rest of the time during the week I took off because my dad uh, was going through some medical stuff and had a procedure that he had to have done. So I spent some time. Uh, staying with my folks and uh, took a few nights off of work. But I'm back, and my dad is actually going to call in and tell a joke. Um, so uh, 312-981-7200 is the phone number. We've been talking about cursed objects um, and the consequences of those cursed objects. How about the Busby Stoop Chair? Did you know this one? Oh, this is new to me. The Busby Stoop Chair. English drunkard... <laughs> Wow, uh, they're being really politically correct here. English drunkard Thomas Busby sealed his fate when he murdered his father-in-law, Daniel Audie, in 1702. For his crimes, he was executed by hanging at a a crossroads near a humble inn. But the story goes that this was not the end of Busby's killing. A chair that looked onto the site of his execution is believed to carry a deadly curse. Whoever sits upon it will supposedly die from a frightful accident. 
Still, the chair lingered in the inn until 1978 when the owner gifted it to the Thirsk Museum, where it now resides high on a wall where no one uh, can sit on it and need no fear of accidental sitting. I, I had never heard that one before. That's a good one. A deadly chair? You think, oh, I'm just going to sit down and relax. Then you're dead. The Busby Stoop chair. That English drunkard. It's all his fault. (laughs) Never heard of that one before. All right, here's Harold on WGN. Go ahead, Harold. Yeah, how you doing, uh, Nick? Hope your dad's doing better. Yeah. The, the uh, Tales from the Crypt episode of that uh, the movie seventy one or seventy two I think it came out. I saw that when I was I was what seven years eight years old. Um, the what happened is the uh, I think the woman wished for money, and the husband like told her don't don't, don't mess with that stuff anymore. But she went ahead and did it anyways, and then um, and then he. When he left the house, he, he got a call to go somewhere. He left the house, he got his car, and he was being followed by uh, a motorcycle that didn't have a person on it. Right, it was, a, it was a skeleton, yeah. Yeah, with a, with a motorcycle helmet, a leather jacket on. Right. And, that, and that, you just didn't see him anymore. All of a sudden, they just, you, you just assumed maybe something happened to him. And then she got a call that he had died. And then uh, a little later, some guys, some pallbearers, brought the casket home and put right. it on a table. Right, exactly. And then he wished she wished that he was back alive. That's when she realized that he had been embalmed, or the guy that was with her, really right, had been embalmed. And then she, you know, and then, uh, and then um, they then they tried to cut him up and stuff so that way he would stop, right, around. And then I think she wished him dead. So that was her third wish. Right. Okay. Thanks, yeah. Harold. Oh, hey, uh, what about the uh, what is that big diamond? Uh, the oh, Hope Diamond. The Hope Diamond. Yeah. That's what we were just Hope talking about. We were, that's what we were just talking about, Harold. <laughs> it's been a good portion of the last 15 minutes talking about the Hope Diamond. Uh, all right, here's Elizabeth on WGN. Go ahead, Elizabeth. Hi, I just thought I would like to tell you a little bit about the Hope Diamond. And I do hope that your dad will be well soon, Nick. Thank you. Anyway, the story is I was a schoolgirl in Washington, and my college roommate was the daughter of friends of Mrs. Evelyn Walsh McLean, who owned the Hope Diamond. So, as such, she was invited to spend the weekend with Mrs. McLean. She gets there, and Mrs. McLean is wearing the diamond around her neck, but she won't let my roommate touch it. And what was her personal story? Well, her husband had gone mad in a, you know, in a madhouse, and. Her daughter had gone mad, too, in the same place, and her son was killed in an automobile accident, and that left a widow who went to Hollywood and married Jimmy Stewart, and it was a good thing there. But the diamond itself is a beautiful stone. It's the color of a deep sapphire, perfectly gorgeous. And so there was tragedy around that, and I don't know who put the curse on it, but it was cursed. So after Mrs. McLean died, it was sold to either, oh, I don't know, Van Clare or Arpels or another famous jeweler. And then it went to the Smithsonian. 
And I gather it's put on a shelf somewhere, and everybody gives it a wide berth because nobody wants to get near the darn thing. Yeah. So I don't know who put the curse on it. I have no idea, but it was cursed, and it did have a lot of unhappy events surrounding it. So I just thought you'd like to know. Yeah. Thanks, Elizabeth. You're most welcome. Okay. Uh, Yeah. All right. How about the crying boy painting? The crying boy painting. You know this one, Tom? Hmm, we'd have to take a look at picture. Another curse out of England. Oh, does this involve an English drunkard? Can we just assume they all are? It comes from this popular 1950s reproduction of Bruno Amadeo's The Crying Boy Painting. The superstition goes that the pictures of this mournful child causes fires. Its source was an article in the tabloid The Sun from September 4th, 1985. A couple's house burned down, but the fire didn't burn the crying boy. Ooh. A local firefighter then noted that there were other fires that left only undamaged crying boy painting. Do we know that one, Tom? Does, are there any more details wow. on the on yeah, the intra, so, on the interwebs? Let me give you a little bit of this. On the 5th of September, 1985, the right. British tabloid newspaper The Sun reported that an Essex firefighter claimed that undamaged copies of the painting were frequently found amidst the uh, ruins of burned houses. By the end of November, belief in the painting's curse was widespread enough that The Sun was organizing mass bonfires of the paintings oh, man. sent in by readers. Steve Punt, a uh, British writer and comedian, investigated the curse for BBC Radio 4 and the conclusion reached by the program uh, following testing is that the prints were treated with a varnish containing fire retardant and that the string holding the painting to the wall would be the first to deteriorate, resulting in the painting landing face down on the floor, thus being protected. Although no explanation was given to why no other paintings were turning up unscathed. Ooh, that's interesting. English drunkard. (laughs) (laughs) I want to know why there's so many burning houses. That's what I want to know. And why do they all have this crying boy in them? Yeah, that's pretty creepy. Actually, I mean, personally, if you if you can see this picture, it's just kind of like a fairly realistic painting of a crying boy. Is it just his face? It's, you know, kind of the the waist, or not the waist up, the kind of like chest up. You know, he's yeah. just kind of like this little boy staring at you, crying. He's just weeping. Why would anybody want that in their house? Uh, I'm gonna, I want to look at it here. Oh, boy. Yeah, I don't like that. Oh, no. Just a, just a little boy. I'm looking at, no, no. Why would you even, why? I'll set my own house on fire. <laughs> Ooh, why would you put that on your wall? I don't know. Some people have strange proclivities when it comes to art. Oh. The crying boy painting. No. It's like, uh, what's her name? Is it Drew Barrymore in Firestarter? I like that. a little like kid that, that just... So can, by the way, do you know that Drew Barrymore is going to have a daytime talk show? Yep. <laughs> I mean, what are we, what, what's happening in the world? I don't know. She wants to have a daytime. If Kelly Clarkson can have one. Well, I like Kelly Clarkson. You not like Drew Barrymore? Yeah, but I'm not like to do a TV show. I don't know. Just send her a copy of The Crying Boy and the studio will burn down. <laughs> I don't want that to happen. I just find, no, her, no, I yeah. just find her annoying. <laughs> and by the way, Kate Hudson does a fantastic Drew Barrymore. 
It's when they did the... Uh, it's the only good acting she can do. Inside the actor's studio. Remember when Kate Hudson had us fooled? Well, no, you're a little too young. When when Almost Famous first came out. No, I can imagine people being fooled. She totally had me fooled, because I loved her in that movie, and I still love her in that movie. And I was like, this girl's amazing. What, and, you're not a fan of How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days? Uh, well, McConaughey's in it. Yeah. But he, you know, she was so good in Almost Famous, like really, like, great. And then, What? You know Goldie Hawn's daughter. That was a nice. It was a nice story, and Almost Famous is such a great movie, and she's great in it. And then like it was like that was quick. <laughs> so, all right. How about the hands resist him painting? Another tale of cursed art surrounds this painting of a young boy and a female doll standing before a window. Oh, we have to look this one up too. I'm sure it's really not creepy. Painted by California artist Bill Stoneham in 1972, The Hands Resist Him belonged to actor John Marley. Really? Before ending up on eBay in 2000, it claims it was cursed. With it claims it was cursed. The anonymous sellers said it was found abandoned behind an old brewery. Soon after taking it home, their young daughter claimed the figures in the painting moved at night and even stepped out of their frame to cause chaos in the home. They posted photos as proof. And uh, as may be the case with the Hope Diamond, the curse story drove up the bid to $1,025. The hands resist him. Oh, we got to look this one up. That's pretty creepy, though. The figures on the painting would move at night. Sometimes they stepped out of the frame to cause chaos in the home. So I'd like to see these photos that were supposed to be proof. Wow, I can't believe it belonged to John Marley. That's interesting. So, all right, I got. I want to take. A, I wanna, definitely want to take a look at uh, what this thing looks like. The hands resist him painting. Cursed. So we're talking about uh, cursed objects. If you know of any legendary stories, three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. Hey, during the break time, why don't you look up the hands resist him painting? See what it looks like. Oh, I'm looking at it right now, man. Is it creepy? Beyond. Oh, really? Actually, though. Okay, cool. This is tough to look at. All right. Hands resist him painting. <laughs> it's literally some weird kid standing next to what looks like a marionette girl, a creepy doll girl, and then behind him is a, a, a door, like kind of like with windows on it, and there's just hands coming from right behind him. Just hands. I don't know who would have painted this or why or why anyone would want this in their home. Oof. That's creepy, man. That is just weird. So, uh, yeah. All right. Well, hey, you know, people want that stuff on their wall. Fine. That is creepy, Tom. Yeah, some weird, like, f- flat-headed kid wearing a blue shirt and and shorts. And there's, like, and, hands behind. There's, like, a glass window behind them. Yeah, with hands. And, and the, 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 the little doll girl is really... The life-size doll girl standing next to him. Well, that's, really that's the creepiest thing in the... That's the creepiest thing in the... Dead, dead eyes. Yeah. 
and the weird little like poet puppet mouth. Yeah, and you can see like where her joints would be. You know, it's like like a little doll. All right, that's the uh, hands resist him painting. Enjoy, enjoy trying to sleep. Do we know the number of times Scorsese has used this song? 5,000. Yes. Not complaining, mind you. I could I could use like one less Rolling Stones song per Scorsese. Come on movie. now. He's like clearly obsessed. Yeah. I mean, he made that one. He made the con- concert yeah, movie, which is awesome. Light. Shine yeah, a Light. Awesome. It was great. I feel like that should have just taken care of it for maybe a few years, but... <laughs> Apparently not. Uh, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. We are. Do, was it, was there a Stone song in The Irishman? No, oh boy. I don't think so. No, it was all period appropriate. Yeah. And you know what? That was four hours long, and there's no Stone. He had plenty of time well, to put a Stone he listened. song. He listened. I, I got down, and I said a prayer to St. Scorsese. <laughs> I said, please, one with no Rolling Stones songs yeah. other than Hugo. And can you make it an hour longer than Goodfellas? Yeah. You know what I didn't have enough of? <laughs> Goodfellas. <laughs> I like the Irishman. It's great. Yeah, it's I great think it's movie. great. Uh, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. We're live in the Skyline studio uh, here until uh, 4 o'clock. My dad's going to call in and tell a joke because it's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. But we've been talking about uh, allegedly cursed objects and some of the scary, weird curses that surround them. And if you were, if you at all would, if someone out there would put the hands resist him painting on your wall or the crying boy Two paintings that would never, ever even be near near to my house, let alone on my wall. But they're cursed, man. Ah. <laughs> Here's Carol on WGN. Hi, Carol. Hey. Hi. Um, I have a different story about the Hope Diamond. Um, the Hope Diamond was originally found in India, and it was stolen from the owner, and the curse was put on that anybody who touched it after it was stolen, it would be cursed. But um, after it was found, Harry Winston bought it, and it was housed in Winston's office in Geneva, Switzerland. And my mom and dad, my dad was a jeweler, and Winston's office in Switzerland was managed by my grandmother's cousin, and I, we have pictures of my mom and dad holding the stone. Wow. Um, on that actually holding, you know how they have it on like a black velvet, you know, display right. case. Right. They're hold they're holding the display case. Um, and after Winston, at one point, Winston donated it to the Smithsonian. There you go. But now they changed the mounting. It was forever mounted. In a, a mounting a necklace with that was surrounded by diamonds, the original stone, and it was surrounded by diamonds, and that's how the Smithsonian has forever had it. And within the past maybe eight years, they took it out of that mounting and remounted the stone in this totally contemporary mounting, which is non-recognizable. Mm. 
So somebody that's known this stone would not even know what it is. Wow. Okay. All right, Carol, Which, thanks. Okay. I hear they put it right next to Archie Bunker's uh, chair. That's a... I think that... <laughs> If you mention that chair one more time, <laughs> so we we go we immediately go when we go to the, the Smithsonian. This is back in 1992. My my idiot friends and I went on a a road trip, a baseball road trip. We went to a bunch of National League games, driving through the East Coast. We had a day off and we went to DC. So we went to the Smithsonian, and it was just me and five other idiots and um, guys. And uh, as I said, when we brought the rent a van back, I'm sure that the people were thrilled with the smell. Three weeks of guys in a in a van. <sighs> Just think about that, and and uh, you know, I, I imagine the smell would burn my eyebrows off. Yeah. It would strip the varnish off a speedboat. Think of the word moist. Oh come on! So anyway, um, we get to the Smithsonian. We run in there, and we immediately go to Archie Bunker's uh, chair and all that stuff. But then we went to all the all the great stuff that they have there. Like we we took it in. But I remember when we were leaving, my friend Dan, idiots. I, all my friends were, were idiots. We're all idiots. I'm an idiot. And as we're walking, and it was a little confusing because Smithsonian's a little bit confusing, like where entrances and exits and stuff are. And so we were walking out, and I remember Dan, my friend Dan, as we're walking around, he goes, how do you get out of this dump? <laughs> I'm sure everyone was thrilled. <laughs> Morons. Ay ay ay. We were in our twenties, man. Come on. Late twenties. Hey man, I'm in let me say I'm a, yeah, my I've just kind of crossed over into my late twenties. Ninety two, what was I? I was twenty seven? Yeah, I was twenty seven. <laughs> so about the age I'm going to be. So Dan year. Dan was younger than me by a couple of years. So he was only twenty five. So he's the one who said how do you get out of this dump? Ridiculous. Uh, fun trip, though, man. Fun trip. You know, Camden Yards first year it was opened in Baltimore, and we when we got we got in. Now you said you visited. Uh, uh, what's his name? Edgar Allan Poe's grave. Yeah, right? his grave. Yeah, you think that's cursed. I don't know. I don't care. I loved it. Sure. But he seemed like a cursed guy. You would think, yeah, you would think that that there would be a curse involved he, in visiting, you know, Edgar Allan Poe's grave. The man died in a gutter. A, a he did. Popper. Yeah, he did. He was, uh, you know, absinthe, all kinds of stuff. Um, my favorite writer of all time. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what to say. <laughs> yeah, you were talking about appreciating drunkards earlier. Yeah. You know? An American drunkard right there. That's a, a real American drunkard. Um, so here's a quick a quick thing about Baltimore. So we go to Baltimore. The first thing we did, because I made my friends, I'm like, we're going to Poe's Grave. That's the very first thing we're doing. And we did. And by the way, if you go to Baltimore, Poe's Grave is awesome, but it's in a really shaky part of town. I just want to make sure people, <laughs> people know. I'm talking like, you know... Locations from the wire. That's what I'm. That's what I'm talking about. So, anyway, while we were there, we thought we would go to Babe Ruth's house, the house where Babe Ruth was born, because Babe Ruth was born in Baltimore. 
And so we're like, hey, let's go to the Babe Ruth house. So we look it up and find out where it is. And uh, so we go over, we go to Babe Ruth's house. And of course, it's really quaint and small. He was born in the bat. He was born in the bedroom on the second floor. A really tight, small, like townhouse in the middle, you know, like next to a bunch of other buildings in the middle of this small cobblestone, you know, um, street. So we go in and it's Babe Ruth's house. And I can't remember how much the admission or whether there was admission or not. I don't know if there was an even admission. Like, I think you could maybe just walk in or maybe it was like two bucks or something. So we go in and on the first floor, half of the, of, uh, the, the biggest room on the first floor, more than half of it was a display case dedicated to Cal Ripken. And I was like, what the hell? And I realized Cal Ripken, hero in Baltimore. Okay, I, I totally understand that. Best attendance of any baseball player of all time. <laughs> but anyway, the other thing is, so they had like these, what do you call shadow boxes, right? So they had all these shadow boxes set up with like gloves and pictures and all kinds of bats and all, you know, like a, a little video thing that runs constant highlights of Cal Ripken. And it takes up more than half of the, of the ground floor of the Babe Ruth house. Now, here's the kicker, though. There was a button that you could press. You know, like a la Museum of Science and Industry, where you press the button, something happens. Boom, you press the button, and nobody does it better. Starts playing by Carly Simon. And so that plays, and that would trigger your highlights. So it would play, nobody does it better. While we were there, we heard that damn song 35 times. Like people were walking up, pressing the button. And I just, I kept getting mad at Cal Ripken. I'm like, first of all, why are you moving into Babe Ruth's house? You know, and I kept thinking to myself, okay, I got to separate this because Orioles fans, I mean, Cal Ripken's a hero. You know what I mean? Like, he is a hero to Ripken's, uh, to, to Orioles fans. But I just don't think it was cool that, you know, three quarters of the downstairs room in the Babe Ruth house was dedicated to Cal Ripken and Carly Simon. I just... <laughs> all right. Okay, we have a few more uh, cursed objects. We're going to get to those, and we want to hear from you at 312-981-7200. 312-981-7200. It's the best part of the week, baby. It's time to hear something funny. Here we go with your music intro. Ah! It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. Nick's dad tells a joke. Yeah. What I say? It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. Nick's dad tells a joke. Oh, yes! Here we go! Yeah. All right. Hello, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. We're live in the Skyline studio here until uh, 4 o'clock. And then at 4 o'clock, we head over to Bradley Place for the TV side of WGN and get some early morning news from that great crew. And then at 5 uh, o'clock, Bob Surratt is back from his vacation, and he'll be live uh, for your morning drive. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. All right, every Monday morning at this time, my dad calls in and tells a joke. My dad's been telling joke his, his jokes his entire life. So we thought, hey. Let's uh, get him on the air, tell a joke every Monday morning to kick off everybody's work week with a laugh. And so let's say hello to my dad. Hey, Dad. Hi, Ned. How you doing? Good, good. Yeah, how's Ma? Good. Good. All right. I'm glad you're feeling good, Dad. Thank you. Okay, cool. All right. You got a joke? 
Joke number 306. 306. A customer walks into a bar and says, I'll have a pint of less, please. Less, asked the bartender, what's that? He said, I don't know either, said the customer, but my doctor told me to drink less. That's, that's a good one, Dad. I like that All one. All right, a lot. Nick. All right, buddy. Take care of yourself. All right, bye, All right, Nick. We'll see you later. That was jokey, jokey, jokey time. It was a jokey, jokey, jokey time. Nick's dad told a joke. He'll do. That was a good one. I like that. My doctor told me to drink less. <laughs> uh, and so my dad will tell a joke again next week. And uh, I was off for a few days uh, this past. We actually took the the whole week off and uh, spent most of that week. Hanging out with my parents, uh, staying over at their place. My dad uh, has been going through some medical stuff. Um, went in for some uh, appointments and some tests, and he had a procedure done uh, this past week. And so I stayed with my folks and took a couple nights off of work. So, uh, but that's why I was off, and now I'm back, and uh, we'll continue to do, to do this uh, this fun stuff right here on WGN. Okay, uh, let's get back to cursed stuff, allegedly cursed objects. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred is the phone number right here. Is Rich on WGN? Go ahead, Rich. Hi, Nick. Uh, welcome back. And good to hear your dad. Uh, happy and funny. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, curses. I, I wasn't sure if this was brought up. I I heard heard your topic uh, mid mid time it was on, so I didn't know if this got brought up or not. And it's very famous. Um, uh, James Dean's Porsche that he died in. You know that uh, curse. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, well, it got all smashed up. Obviously, he died, and his passenger died, and then uh, I think Chuck Barris bought the car. When it was wrecked, George I, Barris. When, George yeah. Barris, not Chuck. Oh, I'm sorry, George Barris. That's right, not the guy. Uh, from, not the guy from the Gong Show. George Barris. <laughs> <laughs> right. No. Uh, but that was yeah. Many acts on there were wrecked too. So, um, yeah. Uh, George Barris bought the car for like a, a little over two thousand dollars, and he he just sold the parts of Dean's wrecked car, like the engine, um, the tires, uh, some other parts as well, but just about everybody who bought the parts to, to Dean's car either died or were seriously, like, really badly injured in accidents yeah. um, in their car with the parts that were from Dean's original car. Yeah. Yeah. I, this story, that actually is is in the story that I have in front of me, and I'll, t- I'll talk a little bit more about it, too. Thank you, Rich. Ah. Oh, you bet. Okay. Take care. Here's what it says. It was, um, it, his Porsche was called Little Bastard. Uh, that's what uh, Dean called his silver Porsche 550 Spider, the car he died in following an accident in 1955. After that, the vehicle was purchased, as Rich told us, by hot rod designer George Barris, who planned to sell it for parts. The curse narrative was born when the car fell and crushed a mechanic's legs. Um, as, uh, the, as parts of the car sold, the curse is said to have spread. A doctor who bought the engine was killed in a car accident. Another victim who bought the transmission was severely injured in a crash. The tires sold from Little Bastard blew out simultaneously, sending their buyer to the hospital. While the shell of the car was being transported, the truck carrying it crashed and the driver was killed. Uh, From there, the shell was stolen and the curse of Little Bastard went quiet uh, as its location became unknown. So somebody just stole it? Oh, man. All right. How about the Terracotta Army? You know this one? I think so. Yeah, I know the cur- I, I know the Terracotta Army for sure. Yeah. 
Well, here's the curse. In 1974, seven peasant farmers in China were digging a well for their army or for their village when they accidentally uncovered the 2,200-year-old terracotta army, an astonishingly detailed series of 8,000 sculptures that had long been part of a uh, grand tomb. The find has been one uh, has been a great one for China, bringing academics and busloads of tourists. But those who found it gained only misery. The Chinese government claimed their lands and destroyed their homes to properly unearth this army, financially ruining not just these men but most of their village. Painful deaths followed for three of the seven, because as one of the survivors points out, they could not afford health care. Some have blamed government callousness for the men's fate. Others believe that it's a curse similar to that of Tut's tomb. King Tut's tomb. Yeah, King King Tut. Yeah. Born in Babylonia, moved to Arizona. Moved to Arizona. That's right. Uh, perhaps the most famous curse of all is the tomb of Tutankhamun, um, the burial place of the 19-year-old pharaoh. All who enter, be they a bandit or archaeologists, are said to be uh, struck with bad luck, illness, or death because of the curse of the pharaohs. Belief in this curse predated 1922, the 1922 Howard Carter expedition to find Tut's tomb, but his discovery unleashed new life for this legend. The first to die was the canary that was rumored to have led Carter to the tomb's hidden location. Some say it was eaten by a cobra, a symbol of Egyptian royalty, while others insist that it wasn't even killed, but rather given to a friend. Soon thereafter, Carter's financial backer, Lord uh, Carnavon, died when a mosquito bite became infected. 20 more deaths of people would get blamed on the curse by 1935. Still, skeptics suggest coincidence or deadly fungus from the tomb are to blame. Tut's tomb. I got to see Tut's tomb. Did you now? Yeah, it was at the Field Museum mm. back in the 70s when it was a sensation, going to the exhibition going around the, the exhibit going around the country. Like, how long was that line, do you think? Oh, it was, well, we were on a field trip. Ah, I see. So, you guys kind of had. Yeah, we kind of had, you know, they kind of, you know, let us kind of go a little bit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, we were on a field trip. It was a field trip in grade school. That was when I bought my first packet of bubble yum and was told that it had spider eggs. (laughs) The real curse. I'll never forget it because we had just seen King Tut's tomb. We went on the whole tour. And, of course, you know, when you go on these tours, most of them end at the gift shop. You know what I mean? Yeah, so you go and you can buy stuff. Like when we went to go see the uh, the human body thing, the cut, uh, yeah, whatever the uh, hell, body body works, body work, yeah. yeah. Um, that ended when you walk out. It ended in the in the gift shop, and we saw that at four o'clock in the morning on a Sunday because it went twenty four hours. It was so popular, but they still had people in the gift shop running the gift shop at four o'clock in the morning. But yeah, I went up to buy a, a packet of bubble yum, and my friend said, "Don't buy that; it's made with spider eggs." I remember that King Tut's tomb is really cool. It's still it still tours around, right? Oh man, I didn't it prob- make it. I mean, probably didn't it make another round not too long ago? Maybe a couple of years ago at Field. <sighs> Let's see. I think it did. I think I think just a few years ago. This was when I went. It was back in the seventies. That was, you know, it was like when it was like early to mid seventy, when maybe seventy five, seventy six, or something like that, is when it came through. And uh, and it was really cool, though. I mean, a, a lot of that stuff was just kind of just like really awesome to look at, and 
really cool. I, I know there was one in like 2006. So it did. I mean, it did come back. It did I mean, come back. Yeah. 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 But I don't know how recently. I'm sure it still tours the country. No doubt in my mind that it tours the country. So, and it's and it's cursed. So don't bring anything home <laughs> from Tut's tomb. You don't want that following you around. So, uh, what do we got uh, for tomorrow? Good old Rod Pyle is going to join us. Rod Pyle, our space guy. Always a great time to have Rod on. Uh, and I want to thank you all for uh, for calling in and uh, and also uh, your, for your nice thoughts. So, uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Here we go.